welcome to Love Alexi. My name is Alexi Wasser. I'm your host, and this is my podcast. And my guest today is television writer, producer, and the co-creator of The Big Bang Theory, Bill Prady. Uh, so Bill has worked on every show that exists, it seems like, uh, or at least every single show that's uh, wildly successful on network television. Uh, the Muppets, Fraggle Rock, Dharma and Greg, Caroline in the City. You can't do that on television. The Carol Burnett Show, Mystery Science 3000, Married to Children, Young Sheldon, Gilmore Girls, Star Trek, The Cosby Show, and the list goes on and on. And now he is here with me today on the Love Alexi podcast. And uh, yeah, we talk about lots of stuff. Highlights include um, how John Landis, director John Landis, changed his life, um, you know, kind of uh, really affected the path his career took. We talk about him meeting Chuck Lorre, just writing in general, nerd life, computer programming, self-esteem, relationships, Studio 54. I'm talking about The Club, not The Aaron Sorkin Show. And... uh, is that Studio 54? Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip? That's okay. There we go. Now we're talking. Anyway, he doesn't like the movie Flashdance. Bill Prady does not like the movie Flashdance. And he doesn't love astrology. And he thinks my Insta stories are uh, seem lonely. But we had a great conversation nonetheless. And uh, at the end of it, I think the most important and exciting and interesting aspect of this show pops up. Oh, God, you guys. I was... Uh, Oh my goodness. Hold on. Let me give me, let me give me a second. I got to catch my breath real quick. Um, oh my God. I was doing that cliche thing that I condemn uh, when I see it in movies of a woman dancing alone in her apartment, but then I was just doing it in real life. And so I guess it exists. I either learned it from the movies or the movies weren't lying. They weren't just trying to exploit and objectify women in their undies dancing. It's something that happens. And I was just doing that um, to get amped up for this podcast. Also, I had, and I'm about to have another um, of these latte drinks, these individual cans of uh, latte with three shots of espresso that you can get at Trader Joe's. I love the packaging. I love the way it tastes. I just had one. I'm thinking maybe I should not have the second one that's right in front of me because I am so extremely revved up. It's out of control. You guys can hear it. This is probably not a soothing podcast to be tuned into today or at this moment, but well... Turn it off then. Uh, this is what's happening this week on the Love Alexi podcast. Um, so yeah, so towards the end of the podcast, Bill and I are talking about Insta stories because we met because he, we're friends on Instagram and he saw my Insta stories and uh, said they were funny. And at the end of the show, uh, I asked him what his perception of my stories is. Like what, uh, because everybody, because everybody on Instagram for the most part, stories, right? And every, like Busy Phillips is a very intense Instagram storyer. Uh, Aaron Foster, people, that's what people do nowadays. They Insta story and everybody has their different vibe to it or, you know, what, what you know, they're probably going to Insta story, whether it's like photos of food or confessional style Insta stories or what have you. Everybody has their own style to it. Mine is very earnest, raw, confessional, I'm usually on my own. I'm uh, talking about every thought and feeling that goes through my head, if it's important or unimportant, whatever. And he said it kind of came across as lonely. And uh, at one, uh, you can tell I kind of get defensive, um, but not really. I just I really do enjoy talking about the, the art of insta storying and what it all means and and how it helps and hinders your life and uh, the intricacies of it. Because, and then he made another point where he said. 
that he thinks that if you are a writer and you are um, telling a story or making a joke on Twitter or Instagram or your Insta story feed, it it means you you've put the story out and you can't use it for a longer format and you've kind of like wasted an idea or you're less likely to use it for something for a bigger project and it could deter you from you know making something of substance and it, you know so it's like a dangerous thing like if you're constantly tweeting does that mean you're not going to write a book if you're constantly insta storying does that mean you're not going to write a movie and make a make a movie or something or write a book because you're just putting out these tiny fragments of information that are consumed immediately and then cast aside and forgotten about so i think that's interesting and i kind of walked away like partially inspired because he was flattering and telling me that like i'm i'm a writer and you know and to write something longer format Instead of just putting all my ideas into my Instagram, and uh, which I didn't think I did, and I don't. But so part of me was inspired, thinking, "Good, don't get too carried away on Instagram." And then another part of me, uh, the futuristic, less traditional, old school, classic uh, way of thinking, thought, "But wait a minute, Instagram is the future. Only good things have happened to me, and the more I insta story." more good things happen, whether it's getting new management, whether it's not, whether it's like getting attention from uh, somebody I end up doing business with, whether it's uh, writing or developing something or acting or uh, financing for something or a meeting with a production company, whatever, because you're getting your point of view out into the ether. Also, if you insta story a ton and, uh, and uh, engage with Instagram, you can also get advertisers. You can make money. There are people who make tons of money from Instagram, Snapchat, what have you, whatever. Um, so it's so different because, and and in a way, you have to balance it. You have to be constantly um, putting stuff out on social media. You don't have to do anything. But on one hand, it is very much encouraged that you do that because now people's worth and how much money you can make if you are your own product. And I am my own product with this podcast, with my social media, with writing, with making stuff, whatever else I'm up to in my life that you don't aren't aware of, uh, acting. Um, it's tied to social media, managers, networks, uh, people with money, corporations, executives, they look at how many followers you have on Instagram. So it's a, it's difficult to say like, oh, you know, don't don't story too much. Uh, when you're engaged too much on social media, it takes away from the the value of uh, what's really important. It takes time away from what's what's uh, actually, uh, you know, really uh, the things that will benefit you that are re- real. Because it because uh, Instagram is real and important. It's it's a very important tool now. So there are two mindsets, and I'm, I walked away from this podcast thinking. Oh my God, I feel exposed. I can't believe it. Not only do I come across as like lonely and embarrassing, but I'm wasting my life to Instagram and not doing anything else and not getting anything else accomplished. And then I was like, wait a minute. No, you wrote a script. You're trying to get that made. You're writing another script. You also are very happy when you Instagram and Insta story. It inspires you. It's like a modern, uh, it's just like people making YouTube videos or having blogs or having podcasts or doing stand up. It's, uh, you're expressing yourself. It's a platform for your expression to put ideas out into the universe, uh, to feel less alone, to help other people feel less alone. 
you work out material, you see what works, you get inspired, your synapses are firing, and um, and then you just have to be conscious of of not losing yourself to it. And one of the reasons I was I was talking about this with Bill is one of the reasons I might seem lonely or alone or not have friends, uh, which I don't think is how I come across on Instagram, but uh, is is because I'm conscious of when I insta story. I insta story on long walks when I'm by myself or when I'm home alone, uh, commenting on like the Real Housewives of wherever or Vanderpump Rules or The Bachelor or whatever else other bullshit I might be watching, because when I'm with actual people. I treasure and relish my in real life uh, experiences, my human exchanges, and uh, I don't story when I'm with another person. I don't go out to dinner with a friend and I'm insta storying the whole thing, you know, because you have to be conscious of your behavior with technology and, uh, or else it like, it's just another addiction. Like it's like alcohol, you know, you can't, it's everything in moderation, even though I do post a lot. Um, so you have to know when you're using the device and the medium, and, uh, and I think it's possible to use all of it because um, it all falls under the same umbrella of self-expression and, uh, you know, being inspired and uh, exchanging information and ideas and, and inspiration, whatever. I'm repeating myself. The point is, listen, that's my rant on social media. Uh, it was a very sensitive week for me in my brain. I was finally, as I talked about at the beginning of this podcast, I don't know if it was because of the moon or the sun or the lunar eclipse or the blood moon, new moon, whatever. But yeah, I was um, very sensitive. And I feel like uh, that's dissipating, thank goodness. Um, at one point, I went to go meet a friend for a, to go see a movie. And my Lyft driver was talking to me. And he wasn't being abrasive or aggressive, but just him talking. He was talking to me the way I'm talking in the intro today on this podcast intro. But here's the thing. I don't, I'm not talking to another person. I, I'm talking into the ether, expecting that there are other people listening to me, but I'm not in the room with the people listening to me. So I'm talking at the audience right now, right? I can't see you guys. I hope you're there. That'd be fantastic if you, if you are. Um, but I was in a lift the other day and this guy was just talking at me never stopped talking. And I actually walked out of there, out of the car. And I felt like I had been like beaten to a pulp. He wasn't mean or anything. It was just the energy of his words coming toward me. I, uh, I wasn't in the mood. I was, uh, I was, I thought I, I was pummeled, pummeled by his words and his voice. I did not have the energy for it, um, or the capability to, um, participate in that. And I, but I also didn't want to be like, shut up, leave me alone. I feel like you're beating me up with your words and your ideas and your thoughts. I don't care. Please be quiet. Silence is golden. You know, and this is coming from a fucking blabber mouth. I mean, I go on these fucking diatribes, but like, come on, man, read the room. You know, you never know what somebody's coming from. For all he knows, my dad just died. I mean, my dad may have just died because I don't, I don't talk to him. I don't talk to him. He's somewhere in Los Angeles. If you guys see him, his name is Julian Wasser. He's a great photographer. Tell him his daughter says hello. Uh, anyway, listen, uh, for more Bill Prady, uh, follow him on social media at Bill Prady. You can follow me on Instagram uh, at Alexi Wasser. 
You can decide for yourself what you think of my Insta stories and uh, project whatever it is you want to project on me to make yourself feel whatever it is you need to feel. That's another dangerous thing, projections. I can feel, let's say I'm feeling wonderful and I'm living my life and I think people are great and I'm being respectful and my internal feelings towards the world and myself are wonderful. You still have no idea what other people are deciding you feel about yourself or them or other people because people are just projecting on you all the time. And the more you put yourself out there on social media with like Insta stories or posts or tweets or Facebook or what have you, uh, the more you open yourself up to other people's potentially false perception of you or projections onto you. Uh, it's just so bizarre. We're always like combating and battling like, each other's projections and perceptions. It's like so intense. Even that is exhausting. And that's just like silent psychic energy that exists that you can't see, but is there. Anyway, um, I would like to do an episode where all I do is read your emails. So if you are into that, send me your email. If you're going through a love problem, uh, if you're just feeling feelings about the world and what it all means and fulfillment or job stuff, family stuff, career stuff, um, existence, the future, porn, virtual reality, having a crush, dating apps, uh, you know, weird nuances going on, you know, on dates or, or relationships or, uh, you know, whatever, whatever it is you're going through is my point. Send me an email about it. I want to know what you want to tell me. So send those emails to dearlovealexi at gmail.com. And um, until then, I'm going to drink more caffeine. And uh, if you like this podcast, subscribe on iTunes, rate the show, leave a comment, tell anybody who will listen because uh, I'm obsessed with the show. I love doing it. You can always... Uh, if you want to make a donation to the show, a contribution, you can subscribe to my Patreon page and uh, pledge however little or however much money to the show, and that'll help it grow and keep going because uh, I don't get paid to do this show. I just do it out of uh, pure passion. And uh, Or you could always Venmo me at Alexi Wasser, but you know that's neither here nor there. I am going to be throwing another Girls' Night In gathering in Los Angeles. Girls, if you are interested in coming to an all-girl gathering where it's, you know, it's so simple, it's complicated to explain, 15 to 20 girls at a private residence, we drink rosé, non-alcoholic options exist at the gathering as well, you don't have to drink, cookies, new girlfriends, you can bring one of your friends, uh, and we all just sit around in a circle and, uh, and go around in a circle and share whatever it is you're going through, whatever it is you want to share with the group. And it's an opportunity to bond, make new friends, feel less alone, use each other as sounding boards. Because if there, if there was ever a time for women to get together and, uh, and just help each other through whatever it is they need help getting through and just, just being there for one another, now is the time. So, And it's also great for people who are new to Los Angeles. Um, so you have a little support system and you can make new friends. Anyway, DM me about that at Alexi Wasser on Instagram. And all that aside, I'm going to be quiet so you can enjoy my conversation with TV writer, producer, and co-creator of The Big Bang Theory my and my new mentor, Bill Prady. Now entering Nerdist.com. I should have sent a car for you. This is out of control. I should have done it properly. Yes, that's how I roll. God damn it. <laughs>
Very nice to meet you. Hello. Hello. Oh, I'm so good to be in a bath my head against your head. Excellent. This is Aristotle, my producer. Nice to meet you. You're there, if that's okay. That's fantastic. Is there a restroom? There's no restroom. Yeah, no, there's a restroom right down there to the left. To the left. It might be a cesspool. That has nothing to do with me. What is that? No, touch me, please. To the left, yeah. Here we go. You ready? Oh, my God. I feel like we we got it. We did the podcast because we start recording the minute you walk in, so we got it. It's like, can I use the restroom? Fantastic. That's, that's authentic and real. Fantastic. <laughs> oh my goodness. <clears throat> All right. Let's do the best podcast either one of us has ever done. All right. All right. I'm excited. Um, there's water. There's water from Chris Hardwick, courtesy of Nerdis and Chris Hardwick. I know Chris. How do you know Chris? Who don't you know? <sighs> Probably through Will Wheaton. Oh, and he's one. Of, is he one of the actors on on Big Bang Theory? He it's, is. He is. Do you want to put your headphones on? Or sure. You, okay. Well, I can hear you. But. Well, I know. I like to be real official. Oh. Oh my God! Here we are. Are you feeling good, Aristotle? This is great. He doesn't talk much. Exactly how I like it. So let's ease into this. Where are you coming from? Conceptually. I mean, we'll get there too. I mean. <laughs> Just like, no, literally. Where are you coming from, man? Like, like, where, like, uh, emotionally are you coming from, uh, Bill Prady? I was coming from home. You're coming from home? Yeah. Do you have kids? I do. I you have two kids. How old are your kids? My son is 11 and my daughter is 18. Oh, my God. I know. 18? That's crazy, right? Jesus. How do you do it? You're only, like, 32. Uh, that's true. Mm-hmm. That's true. Um, it's in the Guinness Book. You can it's look the, it up. Oh, my God, I will. That's so many right. achievements. It's I can't believe only, it. Only four-year-old to father a child. Um, Somebody had to do it. Sure. Somebody had to do it. Um, Oh, my God, where do we even start? I have copious notes. It looks like memento. Oh, exciting. It's kind of terrifying. Don't look. I'll tell you this. Here, Here's, okay. here's a, a thing about interviewing. All right. Oh, my God. I'm going to get so, schooled. Uh, yes. Well, no. This is going to be a, a cautionary tale. All right. So... In Canada, in Banff... I'm already bored. I can't live like this. Stay, stay with this. Stay <laughs> okay, with this. Okay, how dare you? Did you get bored because it was Canada? Uh, anytime, is that... <laughs> anytime it's not about me and you're doing your own thing, I'm just like, I can't live like this. This is my show. No, please tell me about Canada. So there's a there's a television festival in Canada. And uh, I went up to this festival, which is in this beautiful part of Canada near this amazing glacier lake and you should go to Banff and there's a great restaurant. If you're going to go, call me and I'll okay. tell you where it is. Exclusive. That's okay, right. Keep going. So I get a call because I'm going to do a panel for Big Bang Theory and I get a call and they say, listen, we have this thing coming up. It's one hour in conversation with William Shatner and the guy who was supposed to do it is not going to be the ID sick or something like that. Yeah. Would you interview William Shatner for an hour? And I said, this isn't my thing. I'm not a journalist. I'm not good at this. And they said, please, please, we know you're a giant Star Trek fan, and would you just do this? And I relent. So I said, all right, well, I, I don't, I've never done this before, but I know fundamentally that learning about the person you're going to interview would be step one. Yeah. So I get his memoir. And I read the memoir. You, how much time did you have? I had probably about four days. So I, I cram this memoir. And I, and it, Audio? Or did you actually read it? No, no. I read it you in, read a, it. in oh, a book because okay. I can do that. And um, I learn everything. And I take these incredible notes. And I've got all this stuff. And I sit down. And um, my, I'm so prepared 
that my questions are so long. Oh, God. That all Shatner can do is say yes. Oh, God. <laughs> you, know, I, you know, and didn't, didn't you, you were involved in a theater company in Canada, and from that you wound up going to, to, you know, to New York. He's like, you got me. Yep. Yeah, yes, yes, that... <laughs> That yeah, well, that happened. Then you know exactly so, what's going to happen today. So, because so. so, I see, and and I don't, I don't, Look. I don't fully know how podcasts work, but I don't think people can see okay what you have in front of you. But you have it looks kind of terrifying. It's a lot of writing. It's a, a lot of writing. Paper. Just stop looking, okay? I, I, you know, I just want you to. What if I learned something about myself I didn't know? I mean, that's that's. We hope that happens every day. Thank you. In every moment. Um, <clears throat> is this the last? Season of Big Bang Theory? No, we're renewed through season 12, which would be next year. This is season 11 that okay. we're shooting right now. Yeah. So, um, uh, you know, if I had to put odds on it, I would say it's more likely than not that next year is our last season. Why but, is that? Uh, it, it's about how long a deal you can make with the actors and how yeah. much, yeah, how many more seasons they're interested in doing. And so they made a commitment through next year. They would have been on the show for like 12 years, right? Or how long? 12 years. 12 years, yeah. I know Simon Helberg. I knew him when we, would, like, we were doing commercials together. I think we did like some ridiculous, uh, embarrassing Dunkin' Donuts commercial together like years and years ago, you know, and then he got the Big Bang Theory and, and then, he was like, and he hallelujah. Never, and, and then he never spoke to you again. Never right? spoke right. to me again, <laughs> as it should be. Oh, God. Um, I mean, but I do want to know, so you are born in Detroit. I am, I was born in Detroit. Born in Detroit, and I need to get from there somehow get from there to now. And like you've worked on every single show, married with children. You can't do this on te- you can't do that on television, which is like one of my favorite shows when I was growing up. When you know you would say I don't know, and slime would yeah. fall on your head. And so how did we have a million questions? Okay, uh, copious notes. Okay, and for I don't know what's going on with me. I haven't been drinking for like a month, and I think I'm like detoxing. Do you uh, need, do you need a drink? I don't need to drink, but I, I'm saying uh, lately, because I... I mean, right now. No, I don't. I took two beta blockers, though, for pranolols. For but uh, for whatever reason, I don't know if it's because I'm detoxing or it's like there's a new moon happening. Like, are you married? Uh, I'm divorced. You're divorced. But yes. you, you, have, uh, you have a daughter. I have a daughter. And you've been married. I have been so married. So you know that women are into astrology and moons, right? Well... Okay. That's a yes or no question. I got to finish this. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm going to say yes. I, I'm with like like with an exhausted quality in my voice. Sure. Yeah, don't aren't they? But like you might be exhausted. The quality might be exhausted. But aren't you exhausted by the fact that that's true? That women are so into like numerology and astrology and the moon cycles and yakety schmackety. Do you find that to be true with uh, women? No. Or because yeah, okay, that's uh, boy. There's there's no non-sexist answer to that because oh, no. if I agree with no, you, no, no, no. I want you to agree because my point was I'm setting myself up so okay. uh, so I'll have an excuse to be this way. Okay. I mean, I have I have an under I have a basic understanding of biology. You're I perfect. Under, I, I understand. <laughs> You're not a misogynist. This is about me just being embarrassed that I'm in the, in the moon cycle. Okay. My make a long story longer. I haven't had alcohol in thirty days. Yes. Apparently, what's going on this week is there's like a blood moon, a new moon, a blue moon, and a lunar eclipse all going on at once. Mm-hmm. And I have found that uh, it's making me so completely weirdly sensitive. And like on this podcast, like I don't know you. I've never met you in real life. We have ever. not met. Never met in real life. So you could do a magic trick right now. 
and the audience would be impressed because we have not met. I could do a magic trick? Well, that's what magicians always said. Have you and I ever met? They'll say to the volunteer. Oh, my God. And then, I had no idea. So, that's, so somebody you, possibly. We're, we're set up right now for that. <laughs> for magic. We're always set up You can't for see this at home, but she's just brought out a deck of cards. A deck of cards and a, do- and a dove. <laughs> that's right. And, and, and a dove. And a dove. And a dove. <laughs> um, but what I'm saying is meeting a new person every week, I was telling Aristotle right before you got here, I'm, I'm so completely sensitive to it. It's like I'm cripplingly, I don't know if it's shy or just sensitive because I'm like, oh my God, I'm meeting a new person. I want to ask him all these questions. Do you, feel, and, do you feel you're being judged by the questions you ask? Oh, I don't even go there. It's more, no, I don't. No. Okay. I don't because I like just having a natural conversation flow and it always ends up being fine because I, I love podcasts and I like eavesdropping on two people's conversations conversation, but I'm just saying this week I've been like so intensely sensitive and I'm attributing that to not drinking alcohol, Mm -hmm. detoxing from that, even though I didn't drink that much to begin with. Mm -hmm. And then also this crazy moon situation we're living in, which you have no opinion on because you're a good guy and you want people to just be who they are and feel what they feel and believe in what they believe in, even if it doesn't exist. (laughs) Anyway, Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I've enjoyed this. Okay. Is, that, is that the whole, so that was like the introductory period that of the poly, just, uh, uh, podcast? That's just, those are all my disclaimers sure. for me, just, you know, with my sure. my frank, like, I don't know, frantic, anxiety-ridden way of being. And, um, but yeah, how do we even meet? Like, you like my Instagram stories. Uh, we're friends on Instagram. We are Instagram friends. Well, you connect, so you connect through uh, uh, nerdist people, which which is, a you, you're part of the big nerdist world. Yeah. Yeah. And so I connect to that through I'm just a person. Yeah. All right. Okay. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. But uh well then how did you get from Detroit, a wee lad in Detroit, living your life? What what did you what did your parents do? My dad uh is a writer. He's uh um he was when I was young, he was a newspaper reporter oh, and wow. then he was an advertising writer. Uh, uh, so, you know, I grew up around writing. That was a, a thing in, in my house. So it was just you in know, your family. Yeah. Yeah. It's the, it's the, it's the family business. Yeah. Um, and my mom worked, she had, you know, she had sort of office jobs and things like that. Yeah. And, um, they stayed together Were they, they were together and then they, they, they split up, but they split up twice and then ultimately divorced. Wait, they split up twice. They split up twice. They yeah. split up and got back together, okay. and split up and got back together, and then and, and then di- and then divorced. Yeah. But my dad, the first time they split up, um, so my dad and then my dad dated a woman during that separation, and um, and she was a writer uh, okay. at his little advertising agency, but she became a cartoonist. And she drew drew a comic strip, and uh, the boyfriend of the woman in the comic strip was a drawing of my dad. And the boyfriend's name was Irving, and the woman was Kathy, and the comic strip was Kathy. So your your dad's new girlfriend was Kathy Guyswhite. Yeah, I can't believe this. Yeah, this is insane. Well, it's, I mean... I mean, that says that's, exclusive to odd. me. Yeah, that's odd. odd. Wait, so, odd. but that's like a... Even that comic is also like, it's like infamous, where it's like uh, Sarah Jessica Parker on Sex and the City is like, don't compare me, don't mention Kathy comics, right. I don't want to end up like Kathy. Yeah. Wait, 
what did they stay together? No. Your, your dad? Okay. No, no. Did she end up being single and alone like her comic strip? Do you know, I'm, I don't think she did. I think... Not in a mean way. I'm you know, I, w- I was in touch with her years later, um, and I think she moved to California and then ultimately retired. Yeah. I, I would assume vastly wealthy from the... From the Kathy merchandise fortune. Who's wealthier, though? You or Kathy? I'm guessing you. Well, I'm guessing you. <laughs> I don't think so. I, I, I don't. I don't. I don't have that. I don't have that. Bathing suits are hard to buy. Money. What that, that, are you that, talking about? That's what Kathy has, right? Is it an act? And then the then the sweat comes sideways off her head. I don't even know what you're talking about. You've never read Kathy. I have read Kathy, and then I was like, I gotta get out. She's of always isn't. She's always buying bathing suits, this and she a, hates it. Really? Yes. Do they still happen? These comics? No, no they do. They're no, somewhere. No, she doesn't make new ones. No, right. Ended years ago. Oh my god. Is everybody at work? Wait, you work two days a week, right? Or how many days off do you have? You said you could. We were scheduling this podcast. So I work part time on Big Bang Theory. Yeah. Um, I consult on Big Bang Theory, so I'm there two and a half days a week. Two and a half days a week, and yeah. then are you on Young Sheldon the other days? Or what not, is what does your life look like? My life. Um, so uh, I was the showrunner of Big Bang Theory for the first five seasons. I co-created it with Chuck Lorre. Um, but um, right from the beginning, there was uh, an amazing person, a guy named Steve Malaro, who's now the co-creator of Young Sheldon. And so, um, it, you know, it was really a joint effort with Steve from the beginning. And then starting in season six, um, Steve took over full time as the showrunner and I went to part time and, and I've been doing just other odd things during during those days off. So what are these odd things? Uh, I was teaching at USC. I was really? teaching writing at USC, which I loved. Oh, my goodness. What do you love so much about it? So I taught a class. It was um, it was a master class. It was called Writing the Half Hour Pilot. It was really cool. It was um, it was a grad level class. I would have about five students, and over the course of the semester, we would go from idea for the pilot to a f- sort of a first draft plus almost second draft of of a half hour pilot. Um, and it was an amazing thing. What I really loved about it. Because it forced you to think about your own writing, and you you know you're looking at something and you're going, why doesn't this work? And then you really have to think about you go back to the basics of writing and um, character and dialogue and all that and and all the things it for I found for me it forced me things that I do instinctively, uh, having to actually figure out a way to explain it. Oh God, that makes you relearn it, understand even more. Right, and I think uh, for me it really helped me and my own writing to go through the process of saying, you know, um, where you'd look at it, you'd look at a page of dialogue and you go, this doesn't feel natural. This doesn't feel, you know, the way people talk and to try to figure out. And when the student says, well, why? And, and you go, oh my God, I actually have to answer that question. Now I have to go through this. And in that process, you're going, oh, okay, there, you know, there are things that you can sort of put, put a name to. And can that was very, very cool. But can you teach that? Cause shouldn't it be instinctual? Don't you feel like, I don't know. I mean, I won't, no. we won't name students, but, uh, yeah. no, no, you can teach it and you can. you can. And, and when, when people are writing comedy dialogue, the mistake that they'll make is they'll have a great joke that they want a character to say. Yeah. Well, in order for that character to say that really funny thing they've thought about loud, they've got to get another character to say something that will prompt that. And they try to force it? Well, they force it, and you bend it. So you, you it's called a bent setup, right? So you, you 
adjust what the person, the other character is saying in order to get the joke out. And you look at that and you go, well, this doesn't feel right. And the reason is, is because the person who set up the joke isn't saying something that they would say. And when you force characters to, to say things to serve your agenda, then they flatten out and they stop being interesting. So that's the thing you've been able to teach these students. But Well, I hope. But otherwise, yes. don't you feel like it is such a huge... I mean, it seems like it's in your blood. Like you were born to this, you know, a writing father, like a stepmom or step-girlfriend for a moment who's also a writer. It's like... Uh, but, you know, what else do you... Do you enjoy the teaching just because is it, it reinvigorates you? It's like exciting because you've been doing it for so long that it's like getting back to what originally inspired you to do it to begin with like seeing the other people's enthusiasm towards like yeah. oh my god yeah yeah I, but also i mean i think that there is there's a frustration you know there's almost everything else you do in show business you can do at the college level you can act you can direct you can write screenplays you can you know you can do all of that but it's very hard to do what i do for a living at the college level and uh, I, you know, I had a conversation with the woman who is the dean of the USC Film School, and I, I said that to her, and she said, "Well, the reason for that is is because it would take people like you to come down and teach." And she was very persuasive, and so yeah. I, I went down and did that. Oh, that's so incredible! Did you you went to USC to or, teach? No, where did you go to school? Oh, I dropped out of college. Oh, you I, I, did. I have a I have a I have a, a year. Of, uh, of education at uh, Wayne State University in Detroit. Wayne State University? Yes. I've never heard of this university. It's it's I real. Saw, you can I'm look it up. I'm glad you dropped it. Like, you know, do they claim that you went there now, that you're like a huge they success? Do. They, they do. And in fact, they gave me some kind of an award last year. <laughs> Thank you for dropping out. Please don't forget about us. They, well, yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I got some kind of distinguished alumni award from the from the school of... of uh, I, uh, it's their equivalent of their film school or whatever. Yeah. And I, and I, when I accepted it, I said, I, you know, it's an alumni award. I said, you know, considering that I've never officially graduated, I'm accepting this as a current enrolled student. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Okay. Well, I know we're jumping all around here. It's very tangential, but so you, your dad was a writer, Mm -hmm. you're living your life. You don't go, I mean, what else do we need to know? High school, were you did you always want to write? No, I don't think I did. Um, what were you into? Uh, I was really, really into computers. That was that was my passion. Oh, so um, you're a programmer. At one I point. was. I was. Yeah. So this is the early days of of you know Bill personal Bill. computers and things like that. Yeah. yeah. And I thought that this was just fantastic, and so that's what I wanted to do. And I moved to New York. I moved to New York with a girlfriend. And we were 19 years old. Oh, my goodness. Yes. And um, she wanted to be a famous actress. And I uh, I worked as a programmer. I, 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 well, first I worked at Radio Shack and I sold computers. Yeah. And um, uh, then I, I met somebody who they had a little software company and I joined them and then we did that. And we actually, we wrote software that was sold in Radio Shack stores. So. Exclusive for Radio Shack? Yeah, oh yes. Like what? Like what? What did they? It uh, was a, so. This is the this is the old olden days, and it was the, a database uh, program called Profile that was you could profile. go you could go into a Radio Shack store and buy it. And my dad used to have a K Pro. Do you remember K Pros? I do remember K Pros. I barely. I remember being really really little, and it was a black screen and then green letters. Yeah. And then I would like play these weird games 
uh, that didn't look like video games look like now at all. But it was They're like text text based. And, yeah, it was text based yeah. video games, yeah. and I you know it was so insane. But anyway, but this was after that. This is more savvy than my K Pro text based video yeah, game, it's right? A, it's about that. Oh, really? Yeah, I would think so. Yeah. Okay, so you're programming, you're making this stuff for them. Meryl Streep, who was this girl? Okay, Kate Blanchett, who was your girlfriend at the time? Who my <laughs> girlfriend at the time, you know, it was re- this is a really interesting thing, um, at least to me because I'm in the story. Yeah. Um, but she had dreamed of New York all her life, and her her high school graduation picture, she's wearing her A Chorus Line um, t-shirt, and you know she's going to go to New York and be a famous actress. And New York kind of chewed her up and spit her out. Oh no! What happened? You know she was she was on a kids' TV show, and then after that, she didn't get much work, and she kind of gave up and she left. And I had I didn't know anything about New York. I mean, I New York knew New York from the movies, maybe. And I got there and I said, <clears throat> "Oh my God, this is the place I want to be forever." And um, and even even now, I have this weird sort of you know have to get back to New York periodically to some kind of I don't know. Some you know, kind of uh, fulfillment. Like Aquaman has to get back in the water yes. periodically. I mean, I didn't even need the Aquaman yeah. reference, but yes, I completely identify. Yeah, because yeah, I was born and raised in Los Angeles, and I always thought I watched movies like Unzipped, that Isaac Mizrahi documentary. Right. I don't know if you ever saw that. I did. I, did. I would just watch all these movies that took place in New York documentaries and go, "That's where I belong. I belong there." And so I lived there for a moment, and then I came back to Los Angeles. And I don't know if it's because I'm getting older or what it is, but I'm, I love LA now. Like you know, I don't feel the same way, but I. Only recently, in the last like few months, I've been like, I got to get out to New York again. But I only like going there when I'm working because I feel like if I have no uh, structure, I go mental. Really? Because I think New York is the best place to be when you're not working. Because, oh, really? Yeah, because I, I remember when I lived in New York that you know, especially if you know, if I was by myself, that you could wake up and just do New York, yeah. and that could be your day. You could you know, you could go and get breakfast somewhere and sit outside and go for a walk and wind up in a museum or at a movie and and before you know it, you've had this sort of amazing random day. It's it's also I think it's the best city to be alone in because Ugh. you can be alone with yes. other people around you. You're alone you. in a crowd. You're alone yeah. in a crowd, and it's fantastic. When I lived there, that was sad. At first, I was like, this is amazing. I'm alone in a crowd. And then I was like, I'm alone in a crowd. Oh. <laughs> it was like, but, oh, if I don't have enough, if I'm there for like a week or 10 days and I don't have any structure, that's too much. If I were, I'm there like over the course of a weekend or something and I'm seeing shows or... Because I used to fly in for like two days just to pop in. Oh, God, it's not politically correct to say this now. But I would go to the Carlisle Hotel to see Woody Allen play in his jazz band. And I remember I flew in one time on a Friday, got to New York at 6 p.m., went right to the Carlisle from the airport. Did you stay at the Carlisle? No, I just I just had dinner alone at the bar. Like mm-hmm. I, I, was, I got in like, you know, right when they opened, sat at the bar, ate dinner by myself, watched the show. I did this a few times. And I meant to see Eartha Kitt play, and I never. And then she died, and I miss. Oh God, I was like really regretted that. But uh, and then I would just spend the night at a different hotel or at a friend's house, and then fly home the next day. He, he, one of the great things about New York, and I think Cafe Carlisle is one of those places. Yeah. Is, is New York is a city filled with time machines? Oh God, yeah. So if you walk into the Cafe Carlisle, it's a 
about 1957. Yeah. And it's eternally 1957 in there. And from, you know, from how the martini arrives, you know, in the shaker served at your table to mm-hmm. to how the maitre d' talks to you to, you know, to the dress code to, you know, to the kind of music that's being performed. It's it's 1957. It's 1957 and I do yeah, I like old-timey like even though I have this haircut, I have these bangs. People think I live in Los Feliz or Silver Lake cuz that's where my haircut and the way I dress suggests I live in Los Angeles, but uh I don't know, I live in West Hollywood. I'm, I'm a yuppie, but like I don't like the Lower East Side. I don't mind the Lower East Side when I go to New York, but I like old timey New York. So I'll like always just be walking around Central Park or yeah, like all the, I don't know. But New York is a but New York is that. amazing layers because yeah. you can say all right, you know today all about New York. It's great, right? No, but today it's in time. It's going to be nothing later than 1965. I mean the thing the thing I love. I mean, one of the things I love about New York is I love jazz. It's my favorite thing in the yeah. whole world. And New York is a place where you can go to a different jazz club every night and see amazing players. And, and you know, it's hard to do that in Los Angeles. It's hard. Where do you go in Los Angeles if you want, it's, like, some kind of dreamy, dreamy old-timey jazz vibe? I don't know where. You can't go to the Polo Lounge, right? Because the place is owned, Beverly Hills... Hotel is owned by murderers now, or yeah, what's the deal? Right, but, I, but but really to get there, actually there were there were some good jazz dives and they've closed. I used to come. There's a used to be a place in North Hollywood called Charlie O's, which was you know this really great skeevy jazz dive, and I used to go to see Jack Sheldon play the trumpet Jack there. Jack Sheldon. Is that, where, is that what Young Sheldon was named after? No. Who was Young Sheldon named after? You know, Sheldon, Sheldon and Leonard are named after Sheldon Leonard, the great television uh, producer. I know. I was just kidding. <laughs> oh, I had no idea. That's true. I'm getting, I'm getting exclusives left and right here on the Love Lexi podcast. Um, wait, do you have any desire to make movies? I'm, I'm writing a movie right now. You are? Yeah. That, it, that is that is in sort of a pre-production state. What's this about? Can we talk I about it? I can't talk you about it. You can't talk no. about it? Is it going to be the Big Bang of movies? No, which I mean a huge success. I w- and I, what can I talk? What can I say about it? It's a comedy drama. It's, it's a, a com- it's a period comedy. piece. It's set during the Second World War. Um, it is, it is uh, with a a big big famous director and a big big famous star. A and, famous director, a famous star, and that's all I can say. Sign me up. Sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> God. And it's gonna and it's gonna shoot in in Europe in in like the Czech Republic and yeah Italy and places like that. And do you want it? So you wrote it. Your executive producer. No, I, I wrote, wrote it, it. I wrote it. It was it was a project that that came from this director. He was he had a project and he was hunting around for someone to write it. Oh wow! And we have the same lawyer and uh, so match made in heaven. Tinseltown heaven. It was it was a shidach. There you go. Oh my god. Wait, have you ever directed though? Mm-hmm. Haven't you? No. And do you have any desire to direct? No, it seems like a lot of work. Really? Oh, it looks hard. It looks hard. <laughs> it looks. It looks hard. Oh my god! Your entire like everything you've been working nonstop since the uh, you know the beginning of time. <laughs> All you do is hard work. I imagine everybody uh, you know who crosses your path is terrified of you because you're, you're you have so much you know you're a powerful man in showbiz. You could totally uh, direct. Am, I'm sorry, <laughs> Alexi. I have. I can't think of one moment on one day where my life matches that sentence. I'm just pretending we're, we're manifesting for the new year. No, okay. Is this, is this, uh, I just feel like uh, that's not what your life is like. Yeah. Here's what I imagine. Okay, this is okay. my projection. This, this is cool. I'm excited. You, you drove here in a Tesla. With Elon Musk in the passenger seat being like, hey, man, let's talk about science and life, man. And then uh, your house is made of gold. Uh, and um, people are just 
quaking in their boots because they're like, oh my God. Well, all right. A, that, that is, is that not that right? That is all that's that is a, all true. You're welcome. Is, I know. That is true. That's why you're here because I, yeah. I could I could sense that. But it's that. you know what it's it's not as glamorous as you think. First of all, Elon and I battle over the radio. You right? do? Oh my god! You listen to terrestrial radio? Well, I can't or believe the music, it. The music. Got yeah. it. Okay. Yeah. Cool. We cool. just we mm-hmm. just battle, and the yes. house tarnishes. The house tarnishes? Gold. Oh, the gold yeah. does tarnish. That's right. Okay. Let's. Uh, <laughs> so, oh my god. Yeah. Let's be real here. There um, you go. Well, God, I mean, all right. all right. So you have no desire to direct. No. Is this your first movie, you, the first movie you wrote? It can't be. This is the first, uh, this is probably going to get made. This is the first, this is the first movie that, um, that is on the way to being made, but I've written other movie scripts. All right. But just sort of sit in the attic. Let's just sit in the attic, yeah. gathering dust yeah. and cobwebs. So you're living your life, you're in high school, stuff is happening, you drop out of college, programming is happening at some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, you move to New York with I your do. girlfriend. That ends, because it why? Is New York chews her up and spits her out, and then you break up with her? Or like, wait, what happened? No, no, all sort of is happening at the same time. And um, But I get, there's a call comes in, and I think this is, we're in that weird place in the relationship where, you know, it's sort of like, you know, it it's over, but you haven't, you know, yeah. actually, you know. What is that? You what didn't, is that? It's a, there's a, isn't that weird time in a breakup, sort yeah. of pre-breakup where everybody knows. Oh, God. And, and you just, it's just little things like you stop talking about vacations and yeah, stuff you, like that, you know. It's just yeah. Like, or you do talk about future plans, but you both know. Yeah. That's never going to happen. And... Um, but at some point, so a woman calls looking for her and, um, it's the woman who was the producer of the kids television show that she had worked on. And, um, I, uh, at that point I had been a part of this little computer company and I'd sold out of the computer company and I really wasn't doing anything. I'd gotten some money from doing that. And she called. She said, "What are you doing?" And I and I well, she was looking. She was looking for this woman who wasn't there. And then she starts talking to me, and I really don't know her very well. And she says, "What are you doing?" And I said, "I'm not really doing much." And she said, "Well, that's unacceptable." The girl on the phone. The woman on the phone. Yeah, she's flirting with you. She was absolutely not. No, absolutely not. No. And um, mm-hmm. this is an amazing woman. Her name is Alice Myatt, and she um, was this. Uh, in- Incredible force of nature, producer of children's television, and she later wound up. Uh, she worked for later for PBS and for the MacArthur Foundation, and just an amazing woman. And she just kind of said, um, "No, you can't just be sitting home." And I said, "All right." Yeah. And so she said, "I'm producing." Uh, she was producing a kids' talk show for Nickelodeon. This is a million years ago. There was That's a show what this is. It's a kids' talk show. For Nickelodeon. Okay. And it was a show called Livewire, and, and they were shooting the old Ed Sel- at the Ed Sullivan Theater. Livewire? Livewire, yeah. Livewire, okay. And um, she said, you'll come down tomorrow and you'll be a PA. This is so lovely. What was she calling your girlfriend for? I have no idea. All right. It's neither so, here nor there. Uh, yeah. And I said, and it was one of those things where I literally was tired of watching game shows. And I said, all right. Yeah. And so I went down and I got there and I said, oh my God, I love this. 19 years old, right? No, at this point, no, at this point I'm probably about 25. So you're a PA, 25 years old, 25 years old on Livewire. Yeah. All right. And I met the writer who was there, this amazing guy named Terry Taylor, who, um, 
you, you can. He's now written some vampire novels. Um, Why do you think I want to read those? Because well, of my haircut, yeah. my pale skin, and my dark hair. But he wrote um, uh, Terrence Taylor and look him up, and he wrote these great vampire novels. And he's it's a trilogy. He's the first two are out, and he's writing the third one now. And they're amazing. They take place in New York City. It starts in New York in the eighties, and they're really really cool. But oh, the God. first book scared me so much. I told him I'm not reading the second book. Oh my God! It's called Bite Marks. Is the first book? But Bite it, Marks. It, Bite Marks. It's so good, and it's about it. Take, it's sort of like it's vampires in the eighties New York club scene with. That's like Brady Sinellis meets like uh, you that's know. That's exactly Twilight. what it is. That's I exactly love what that. It is. Glamorama it's, is one of my favorite books. It's fantastic, but I will tell you this: it will scare the crap out of you. And um, and he kept saying, "No, the second book isn't quite as scary, but it's amazing." And in fact, um, I'm working with him right now to adapt that into a screenplay because I think it could be incredible. But anyway, Terry. Um, really encouraged me to be a writer. and ter- well, how, how did he know? What did you do? You wrote something he must have read or something you thought or said out loud. A letter. You wrote a letter to who? To the, to the editor of Isaac Asimov's Science Fiction Magazine. So, here, so Isaac Asimov, the great science fiction writer... Uh, Foundation Trilogy, iRobot, all of those things. Uh, totally, totally, I know. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> no clue. And he was going to be a guest on this show. Well, I had grown up, I was big, incredible fan. My whole childhood was golden era uh, science fiction, you know, Asimov, Heinlein, all of this stuff. And um, so he's going to be a guest on the show, and I arranged to be the green room in the, the green room PA so that I can be around my idol. And he was awful to me. Oh no. He was he was rude and horrible and awful. And um and I was so upset that I said, You well, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna cancel my subscription to Isaac Asimov Science Fiction magazine, of which I was a proud subscriber. Hey. This, by the way, I mean not to cast aspersions on my particular ethnicity, but a, a stern letter to the editor is is the Jewish equivalent of martial arts. Yeah. So um but and then at some point I stop and I realize, you know what? I work at this place and this person was a guest and stuff like that. I shouldn't t- do this without showing this letter to somebody. And this letter was a four-page letter wow, <laughs> about chi- childhood dreams and stuff like that. Yeah. And I showed this letter to the to uh, Alice, who was the producer, and she said, "Yes, you can send this letter, and I also want you to write. <laughs> you you must do writing here." Oh wow! And she showed it to Terry, and he agreed, and they, and they worked. And I, I so I did some stuff with him, and then um, I. By the way, I got a letter of apology from Isaac Asimov. Um, which is framed and is on the wall in my office at Big Bang Theory. Oh, my God. And it's very cool because it's from the olden days. It's from pre-word processor. So it's typewritten by Isaac Asimov with, with crossouts and things like that. And were you published in the magazine? They published the letter? They didn't publish the letter. Oh, but they responded. The, That's so well, no, they passed the letter on to Asimov himself. Yeah. And um, who I then, as a result of that, sort of knew for a while and and and... It was very strange and wonderful. Um, and he apologized for his behavior, and he was on his way in for open-heart surgery. All right. <laughs> we'll let this one slide. He, yeah, he had a lot of reasons. but Yeah. Um, but so Terry had just gotten a contract to do a couple episodes of You Can't Do That on Television, which was a show that was produced in Canada oh, and aired on Nickelodeon in the United States. And... Um, 
uh, Alanis Morissette was a cast member oh, of it. Yes. Yeah. Oh my and, god. Yeah, and it's where Nickelodeon, where slime comes from, which became a Nickelodeon thing, but it came from You Can't Do That in Television, which was a kids. So it was a kids sketch show. It was you know SNL for kids. I remember the, even the intro. I can still think. I think of it where it's like a, kids are going through the on like a lever. Oh god, what is it? What, Weird things are happening to kids where they're being processed in like a my, oh like a factory a factory yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember being terrified of that opening being yeah, it was like, it was a, it was like Monty Python style animation yeah, opening it just yeah. terrified me yeah. it was like so in- intense uh, well I guess I'm sorry on that's why you're here <laughs> that's right I'm here to apologize I'm just looking for Listerine minstrips uh, here we go got them I'm all tapped out well I can't get the last one oh. these are for you too if you oh have that's them. so kind you of know. you <laughs> Uh, so he said, listen, I've got to write these four scripts for You Can't Do That on Television. You want to write them with me? And I, I thought, all right, well, it's, well, sure, why not? So we were in my apartment in Brooklyn and, and we were writing. But this is one of my favorite weekends because somebody had given me a bag of chocolate-covered espresso beans. Yeah. Which are fantastic. And we're writing and we're snacking on chocolate-covered espresso beans. Oh, wow. And we are flying on caffeine. And at some point, like about 10 o'clock at night, I, I, we were saying to each other, are you tired? I'm not tired. We could probably write another one of these things. We could probably just keep, because we finished the first one. Let's just, you know what? Let's, yeah. just, keep, let's just keep going. Oh, let's just keep writing. What a great writing tip. That's like old-school Adderall. That's right. You know, I got to get the, I got to get that's that. That's right. Yeah. So, the char- so, we, so I think we wrote till about 4 o'clock in the morning on yeah. chocolate-covered espresso. And at some point, about 2 o'clock in the morning, we realized, oh, I see. <laughs> we're, Holy shit. We're, we're flying on candy. Oh, my God. Um, but, uh, yeah, but so I think that that's probably the first thing that, you know, that I wrote and, and got paid for. But How did it end with the girl? She left. She, she just left. And said, she Who cares? Left. So I was like, She's no, gone. We'll move forward. She's gone. You're living your life. You're writing. You, you were in New York writing that. You didn't go to Canada. Did you go to Canada for the no, shooting no. of oh, it? No, 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 no. Just we wrote just, it. This was literally finish, yeah. finish these, you know, put them in an envelope, mail them away, and done. And, and what we got was, a check. What was the next thing after that? And, all, and I really want to know when, because uh, I do have a million questions. Yes. Like, when... Well, yeah, what did happen after that? Because you just worked at you know, Muppets, the Muppets, well, so this Star was, Trek, Darman and Greg. So, so this was, so now, uh, now I realized that I liked television and I enjoyed doing this. And I was able to get work as, um, you know, as a PA. There was a weird little TV show about uh, personal computers that, and I worked as a PA researcher on that. And then... Um, the Muppets were going to do a TV special that was going to it was going to be a series of specials called the Muppet Institute of Technology, and this never got produced. But um, they needed somebody to come on and help them. It was, it was the same job, it was sort of PA researcher, PA researcher for for this for this special that was all going to be about technology. Jim Henson was fa- fascinated with you know technology was changing rapidly and he thought it would be a fun series of specials with the Muppets exploring the world of technology. Wait, did you ever have a, did you have a writing sample or or you just Well, no, I wasn't working as a writing but, a writer at but, this point. But you you were writing with Terry. Yeah, but so that we, was just based on that letter and he liked you and you're yeah, you're cozy with those people. So yeah. you, and then but then you went back to peeing and researching. Yeah. But could couldn't you use that experience as like at what point did you actually have a solid writing sample? Or did that ever really? What happened at the Muppets? Yes. Okay. So um, uh, we were. So I went to work on this project. But what I didn't realize when I got there is that it was kind of shutting down. That that they that. 
um, Jim was having a hard time selling the the you know the special. Jim would often put things into production and start staff up and start working on stuff at, before he knew that somebody was interested in the project. And that happened with this. So when I got there, it was kind of shutting down. But it was really interesting. So the writers on this project, uh, Douglas Adams, who wrote the Hitchhiker's books, oh, was one yes. of the writers. Norm Stiles was the head writer of Sesame Street. And Mark Saltzman was a Sesame Street writer. An amazing guy named Christopher Cerf. Um, and he was um, – Chris wrote – a ton of music that's on Sesame Street, and and if you were a Sesame Street kid, you you yeah. knew you knew Chris's music, and and he was the son of Bennett Surf, who founded Random House, and Jesus. he had worked with Dr. Seuss. He'd been Dr. Seuss's editor, and a really amazing, wonderful, wonderful guy um, who I know to this day. Um, and he was part of the original Lampoon crowd that's National Lampoon that's all with Henry Beard and very, very important stuff in the history of comedy if you're a student of American comedy. Um, but anyway, so I, I come in there, these amazing writers working on, on this thing. And it's kind of shutting down. So we're just sort of hanging out. And at some point I realize, oh, this is going to end. But I didn't want to leave the Muppets because I was working at the Muppets and it's the Muppets. And the Muppets offices were in this amazing townhouse on the Upper East Side of New York on East 69th Street. And it was like walking into Kermit the Frog's house. I mean, it was this giant, you know, row mansion in New York. and And it was just, it was the Muppets. How old is Jim Henson at the time? So Jim would have been in his early 50s because he was 56 when he died. Um, and um, so I, I basically uh, wandered around the offices looking for, a, looking for a job. And, you know, and, and you can kind of do that when you're at a place because you can meet people and make friends. And, and I wound up working in the product division there, so which is licensing, which is, you know, Doing toys. Well, they were also doing some computer products. And so I had this computer background. So um so I you know that was a an, a, that was a way to get in. And um and then and then when I was there, so there's there's writing that happens in that part of uh, of an enterprise. If you think about, you know, if you buy a, you know, a Kermit the Frog doll, on the box is copy. Yeah. And it's Muppety copy. It's Muppety copy. So right. You were, you, were a, you were a Muppety copywriter? So you're writing, you're writing stuff like that. And, um, and then I said, all right, let's see. You know, I've got this job. So I'm, you know, I'm, my bills are paid and I'm working at the Muppets. And let, let's see if I can parlay that into really writing here. And I kind of poked around looking for, for you know, little stuff to do and um the muppet show was no longer in production and so there really weren't writers around the the muppet operation and i found this amazing thing which is in the pr office of the muppets they would get requests all the time for like a press quote from kermit the frog and that's a writer's job how interesting yeah yeah you know does kermit have an opinion about you know, about such and such. I have to interrupt you really quickly. Yes. Here's what I want to know. Yes. You're 25, 26 at the time, yeah. right? Were you drinking at all? Were you smoking cigarettes? Were you smoking pot? None of my business. You don't have to answer anything. I'll cut out anything. But what, what was your time management and like, how were you living? You know, did you wake up early and were you clean and sober or were you a young 
You know what? I'm wild I'm, kid. No, I'm pretty. You know, I'm pretty nerdy. You know, I mean, you know, you know the the, the basic vice set that all twenty five year olds have. Which was but, what? What was that for you? You know, it actually was so little. So little? It was so little, I'm trying to think. It was really a nerdy life. I mean, you know. A nerdy life. Uh, I mean, yeah. You know, I, I lived alone at that point. I would wake up. I would I would go to, go to work. Well, I, you know, I would I'd probably get up at 7. I had to, you know, I would usually get to the Muppets at 9. And so it took about an hour to get there on the, the F train to the 6 train. But you weren't out clubbing at 25, 26. Oh, God, and no. like, well, this is important because people listening or young kids listening who want to be you or are completely inspired and, and uh, by you, this matters. So they can get their sloppy life together and realize you have to, you know, be well, look, you know, responsible. I mean, I did go out and I would go out with friends. And, and it's much easier to go out in New York than it is... You know, I remember, um, well, Terry, uh, you know, Terry loved clubs and dancing. And so there was a group of friends and he would, they would always want to go out. And this was, it was actually the heyday of, of the New York clubs. This is the era of Studio 54. Well, so and did you go to Studio 54? So here was a great thing. So when I was in the computer business, one of the, one of the clients we had, so we had, we wrote software that was sold. Um, that was packaged software, but we also had clients and we would do custom stuff for them. And one of our clients was Studio 54. Oh, wow. And we did their mailing list. Um, And uh, one of the ways I knew that the mailing list software was working was I hard-coded myself into the mailing list so that no matter... So they had a great mailing list. They could say, say, you know, it was by groups of people and they had a coding system. But no matter what group they selected, I got an invitation as well. So you're always on the list for Studio 54? I was always on the list for Studio 54. Did you always go to Studio 54? No, I went... I would go a couple of times. Look... Oh, my God. But it's not... What happened? It's not really... It's not my scene. Yeah, it, you know, it's sort of like you know, uh, you know, I'm, uh, you know, I'm quiet and specter me, and I don't like loud places with lots of people talking and things like that. Are but you, oh. by the way, yeah, if you ever want to never go to a club again, go to a club during the day when it's closed. Oh, just because it's just it's, it's disgusting. Just, it's just it's vomit. It's, it's the worst. Yeah, because at night it's dark and and there are you know flashing lights and yeah. it's fantastic. Do you worry about your daughter's eighteen or your son's eighteen? Your daughter, My daughter's eighteen. Do you worry about her in this Instagram world? And everybody, everything's out there, and every just like and going to clubs and DMs. You and- know, she's she's not. That's that's not who she is. Yeah. You know, I mean, she's she'll be in college next year, and and. You know, I I hope she copes well with that. I hope she's you know has the tools to cope with that. But, but it, it sounds like you, your parents seem like they seem like they raised you with a lot of confidence and structure, my, right? My parents didn't do much raising of me. I they I, didn't. I, yeah, they they had they were on their own adventures, and you know, and the, it was a difficult marriage. And I think you know the kids sort of. You know, how are you so confident? How are you so stable? Oh, it's is it's, it just you're just oh, it's bull, it's all bullshit. It's all oh, thank bullshit. god. Okay, good. Now we can all breathe. Now yeah. we can all everybody exhale. <laughs> He's just a person. No, I, you know, I, you know, uh, I just seem to let you, I, I you know, I'm a party. Uh, here, yeah, Alexi, a, a party paralyzes me. Oh, like yeah. being invited to a party. Uh, the, the idea, I, I will, I will dread it. 
for for days. I will consider not going. I will get there. I I don't know. I don't know where to stand. I don't know. Uh, you know. I mean, just major social anxiety. Well, that makes me feel so much better. That's how I am. I mean, I can be like that. I can also be but I, the completely opposite of that. But, but but I you know I mean one of the things that's in you know to 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 the extent that any part of Big Bang contains my own life experiences early on because there have been so many amazing writers who've been participating in this and, and brought so much to it. But but my feeling that sort of everybody else in the world has, you know, has their shit together and knows what to do and knows how to handle situations and I don't, that is a big part of, of you know, of that's what how, this was. That's how it came, like that's, that's one of the seeds that well, I, it's funny. I, I wrote I wrote another pilot that never got produced, but it was about. So when I broke up with that girl, and I was in New York, and I he broke up with her. You guys, okay? Let it be known for the record. I'm well, <laughs> Amps well, gray, yeah. beat it. <laughs> okay, when you broke I up, I did. With her, I drew the line. It. I said, I said, here's the deal: <laughs> if you're no longer going to love me, and you're going to be seeing other people, yeah. then I'm done. Out of here, then babe. I'm out. <laughs> I I draw the line. If it was just one of those things, yeah. I think we could make we it work. This out. But if it's the two, if it's the two, then I really think that I'm kicking you to the curb, your, baby. Your days in this relationship are numbered. And so you wrote this other. So I wrote pilot. another pilot that was about that was about being. So I was in my mid twenties, living alone in New York, and I had technically never asked a girl out. Because that girlfriend who I was in New York with in was from was a high school girlfriend, and she announced to me one day that she was my girlfriend. Oh, how nice! And, and I went, all right, okay. <laughs> well, I mean, I said, well, what exactly does that come with? And she she went over the benefit package, and well, it all right. seemed <laughs> that seems cool. Yeah, pretty good. Pretty, it had dental, so it was mm-hmm. pretty good. And I said, all right, so so great. Um, so I so I had no skills at all that you know, and this was from a this is from a you know pre-internet time from a primordial time, and I had all these ideas of how I was going to meet a woman, and I knew that clubs this is not this is not my Forte, thing yeah. no because because uh, you know if I have any ability to be charming. It's, it's writing verbal. Oh, verbal and writing. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and it's not it's not going to happen in a loud place. So I, that's that's not the place. And I started to come up with this. You know, where how I would meet a girl in like a bookstore. That's where I would meet a girl. So I would I would literally on a Sunday, you know, figure out what to wear that looked like good, oh, but but not. Thought out. I would watch this pilot. If this is leading up to a show that never got made, you got to make is, this, this show. This is a pilot. Oh, this yeah. is yeah. I, 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 I want to see pilot. this. And and I would go to a bookstore, and I would be there long enough that the staff would start to look at me. Is he a thief? Is uh, is he just a weirdo? Yeah. And I would never speak to a woman, and then I would leave. God. You sound like me, actually. Really? I, yeah. I always identify with my brain and never thought I was cute when I was younger. And I, I would hang out at video stores or Amoeba and kind of wander or to meet like the type of guy or bookstores. 
and then just freeze up. Hope somebody would approach me and then get close to a man I might approach and then just leave. Because yeah. I, I always just thought it was my brain. And anyway, he's gone. Well, it's it's an odd thing, but but uh, you, one of the things you don't realize is if you were going to, if you were going to meet somebody, the first step in that would be you would speak to them. Yeah. And I w- and if you don't do that step, then it's not going to happen. Well, so what happens in the pilot? It just didn't go. You tried to sell it. You wrote it. Well, I w- I did write that pilot, and it wound up. It was a great writing sample for me, and it and it actually begins with a scene in a bookstore, and it and it and it's a scene I love. Actually, love this because the scene goes into what what you think is reality, where the character is meeting somebody, and it's all wonderful, and then you realize it it hasn't happened. He's it's still a dream sequence. He, he's it's a fantasy sequence. He's still just just standing there. Yeah. And um and and also, you know, at that time in my life when I did meet women, uh, uh, the worst taste in human beings because you I had the worst taste? I did because I you know, I'm I'm uh, I'm a taker in of strays. And Oh god. And uh, there's a there's a point and it's in that pilot where uh, a woman friend um said to me and she says in the pilot that she's that I have to stop confusing suicidal with fascinating. Oh God, that's so interesting yeah. that you say that because I would do the same things with men where I would go, well, I'd be so happy they chose me or or I don't know if the women would choose you or you would choose taken strays or you would just take anybody who would put their attention well, on you. Well if you if you're struggling if you're struggling with self esteem. Old me. That was old me. Old me. Yes. New, no, no, new you no new you I can ago. see looking at you now. Three weeks ago. That, that you are focused <laughs> okay. and, and all of that. <laughs> about that but, yes. but here's the thing if you're struggling with self-esteem which i certainly was be, you know being uh, everything everything said no keep going yeah no, no. if you're if you're struggling with self-esteem which was sort of the hallmark of you know my teen years and my 20s and my 30s and beyond um in a relationship if if you're the caretaker then you know your value in a relationship. You don't have to. You don't have to wonder if you're worthy of love. Yeah. If you're fixing somebody, because you know why they need you. Oh God. I know. I hate this. I know. How did you get past this? Um. Well, I'm single now. I don't, I don't know. Oh God. I don't know. I don't know if I have. Well, I'm not going to ask you anything about your divorce or anything. That's none of my business. It's All right. Not, that's a, but uh, I mean, I don't want to. But uh. No, but it's really. I think this is really hard. It's it's a very interesting thing about Big Bang Theory. Uh, you know, because a lot of that gets explored. Um, just, you know, you, I mean, we have characters who've gone into bad relationships. Um, uh, you know, we've done it a lot with Kunal Nayar's character, where the reason that he went into the relationship is that the woman was willing to go into the relationship with him. Yeah. And that's me usually all the time. Yes. Right. And it's sort of like, oh my God, you have that most attractive quality. You're interested in dating me. Yes. <laughs> you know, what a lovely, wonderful, attractive quality you I'm have. I'm so lucky. Yes. That's, that's I have right. to go with this. I just have to. That's yeah. right. Oh my God. I don't have a choice. Yeah. Right. And, 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 you know, especially if you had a nerdy adolescence, you're going, it's so much work to go, to stop and go, wait a minute. Are you actually a person I want to be in a relationship with? Yeah. And there's also, you know, there's the, you know, there's all, you know, the, the Joan Rivers 
in her stand-up act, used to say her parents were so desperate for her to get married that there was a sign in front of their house that said, Last Girl Before Highway. Oh, God. (laughs) Yeah, I love her. And there's that, you know, the feeling of, oh, my God, well, you know, will will I ever be in love? I better, I'm going to make things work with this person, even though it's not right. And so anyway, now we've gotten so deep, haven't we, into relationships. But so what's the goal, though? Like, what ideally, are you in therapy? No, not currently. Not currently? Not How come? Currently. What? Oh, I mean, and you don't I, have to answer anything. No, no, it's fine. And if you walk out this door afterwards, and you feel free to text no, no, me, no. email me, and go, uh, hey, remember no, when no, I said no. that part? I want you to feel safe. Oh, I know. Years of therapy. Yeah. And, and in fact, somebody years ago, somebody said, um, if you go to therapy... And you work through everything. How are you going to be able to write comedy? Uh, and I said, oh, no, no, I've got enough. Yeah, <laughs> you got I'm, enough. I'm good. But that's a myth. People like to hold on. Oh, if I, if I get well, if I get healthy, I won't be funny anymore or I won't be creative. And that's it's, that's just in you. You'll always be funny. You'll always be creative. Yes, but don't you agree that... Don't you agree that... Uh, that the breakup albums from singers are so much better yes. than I'm in love albums. I was just going to say, well, right. the work is how you, uh, the being exasperated or, or at rock bottom or going through heartbreak or whatever, yeah, working through it, yeah, it, it shows up in the work. Yeah. Like, or I know that like I'll be in situations sometimes where I'll be like, I got in a horrible situation. Oh my God, I, I can't believe I did that or I can't believe I just had this horrible, uh, toxic six-week relationship thing. I don't even want to think about it. What do I do? I'm going to reroute my attention on, and just put it on writing, put it all into writing. That way I, I, anyway, it forces me to be creative. So yeah, trying to not focus on. I mean, if you can be, if you can be uh, brutally, yeah, yeah. if you can be brutally honest with, with, um, uh, strangers, you know yourself, Yeah. then there's, there's writing to be found in that. There is writing to be found in that. Well, I'm reading all about and doing all these workshops, working on uh, your subconscious, mm-hmm. on my subconscious through like hypnotherapy, where it's like, because it says every everybody you invite into your life, the relationships you get into, it, is all a reflection of not your conscious, uh, but your subconscious, and and it makes you like you know dredge up all your unconscious beliefs about yourself or your old timey like your core beliefs about yourself that you might not even realize you think about yourself. Anyway, I don't know if you're into any of that stuff. Or- well, here's the thing. I mean, you know, a traditional approach to it is to say all the bad decisions you made, you actually made for a good reason. Like, explain that. Well, nobody, unless you're actually self-destructive, unless you're actually seeking to harm yourself. Um, you know, some somebody, you'll say, you know, why did I, you know, why did I quit that job or take that job or, you know, go out with that person or whatever? Well, you got something out of it. Yeah. There was, there was, there was a positive thing that you, that you got out in the moment. You, there was a, there was a benefit to it. And, um, just sometimes things don't have a long-term benefit. Well, also, and, or you're following your intuition and, right. you're, you know, but I feel like there's a difference between self-esteem and intuition where your intuition will say, oh, you got to get out of this. Not good. And you got to listen to that little voice inside of you and go on to the next thing. And you've learned your, your thing from that past experience and you move forward and it was all for the greater good of your life. You, right. you learn things, you move forward. But then self-esteem is another voice inside of you that that uh, makes you suffer, tells you a certain... I don't know. I can't know if I can explain this. Where There are times in my life where I've been around a person and I've confused low self-esteem with my intuition where I feel like I'm sweating profusely around this person or I, I feel like I feel ugly around this person or I don't feel enough. Oh, my God. And that was my self-esteem. But I would just go, oh, no, I have wonderful intuition. And, and my uh, uncomfortable reaction to this person is my finely tuned intuition. 
but it really wasn't. It was me not feeling good enough to be around a certain kind of person that I'm not yet ready to be around. Here's so the th- here's so I'm the thing. Trying to raise the self worth. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, I think the thing is, is if if you ask anybody about a bad situation they left, a relationship, a job, and you say, and why did you leave that person, that situation, and they'll give you an answer, and then you say, well, that thing you just said, when did you know that? And the answer is almost always immediately. Like red flags in a toxic relationship. Absolutely. Oh, that's that's a whole other thing. That, that's right. You know, wh- you know, you see, you know, somebody said, somebody said, you know, oh, I broke up with this person. And I said, why did you, why did you break up with him? And, and she said, well, you know, he didn't want to have kids. Oh, okay. There's someone going out for a year or so. You learn that the and first day. I, I said, when did you learn that? I said, well, the first day. Oh, that's a whole other yeah chunk right. of dating and relationships and human human interaction and oh god. But what? it's but it's also by the way, but it ties back to self worth to self worth because because you ought to be able to say on the. You my oh my god, you're lovely. This is fantastic. But it doesn't work for me. We have different life goals, and yeah. and you know, and great. You're so right, but because you feel like oh god, well, this is probably as good as I can get, That's right. or I'm going to cling anywhere, or maybe it'll change, or he doesn't really mean it, or who cares? I get. That's so true. There you as go. opposed to just being clear with the universe, if you will, and being like, uh, you know. I'm, I trust that something uh, more right for me, more suited for me is out there, and this is wrong, and I'm brave enough because I take myself seriously enough and have enough self-esteem and self-worth. Go. Yeah. Well, how long were you married for? 17 years. 17 years? Yes. Oh, my God. I can't believe it. 17 years. I've only ever been in a five-year relationship. How'd that go? I mean, it's over now. Oh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, from like 21 to 26, we're just young playing house and we're engaged and, you know. Is, that, is this someone you continue to know? Uh, I do know him because he's Australian and he bought a house wait in a America. Uh, wait. I don't like Australians I know, I know him because he's Australian. Oh, that's so interesting. You can't get rid of Australians. I, I did not know I that. I'm not saying I not, that. I'm not saying I'm, that. But I will be careful now when I befriend Australians no. because yeah, now I've they're learned. They're never leaving. You can't shake them. Oh, no. They're Australian. It's over. It's, uh, yeah. They're in your life forever. No. G'day, mate. I'm G'day, in your mate. life forever. How you going? Oh, that's a great... Oh, my God. Another exclusive. <laughs> there's a... <laughs> <laughs> there's a um, there's a, a writer's room bit that happens in the Big Bang Theory writer's room. We were talking, we did an episode where the characters go to watch, um, uh, oh my God, what Hell, sport? I, I'm, I know, I'm, I'm embarrassed. Over, yeah. I can't believe this. <laughs> um, go to watch cricket because one of the characters is Indian and so he wants to go watch cricket and he wants people to go to the bar and watch cricket with him. And so we started looking for where in Los Angeles can you, are there bars where you can go watch cricket matches? And, um, and there are no Indian bars where you can do it, but there are English bars and, and things like that. And I said, well, I kept saying there should be an Australian bar. And... And so I invented this Australian bar in the room, and I would say, this is a great idea. And it was called Crikey's. Crikey's. <laughs> Crikey's. Crikey's for cricket. That's right. And um, and it had a, a bartender who's named Crikey, and it was Australian. And so now, you know, forever in the Big Bang Writers' Room, when they're talking about they go to a bar... You know, for and, and you know, all right. What kind of bar it is? Uh, perhaps it's uh, perhaps it's Crikey's. Oh my goodness! Holy Go there, have a Foster's. The, the funny thing is, I I would never want to date an Australian again. So now I didn't even mean to like bring up Australians in a tense way now, on the podcast. Now, now, <laughs> no, stop doing the accent. 
say I can't live like this. this. Is, the rest of the podcast no. is, uh, no. is entirely in uh, no. <laughs> Australian. I can't, I can't do it. No, 21 to 26. Ca- I did, causing oh. horrible flashbacks. Well, it really right? is. Like, I, you can't see. I'm squirming. I'm moving all over the place. But uh, I did go to Australia. I went to Australia like eight or nine times. I think they're they're really anti-Semitic in Australia. I mean, you're not saying that I am, okay? You're <laughs> wonderful. What? You, I'm just saying, I, I don't want to say anything crazy that where you, uh, you know, you feel like uh, you could just uh, have an article what, written about what, you. What an amazing thing. Australians it's a, are. It's a sensitive are, time. Are, are anti-Semitic. Well, they are. I feel, you know, I remember I'm half Jewish, but I, I identify completely, uh, you know, culturally Jewish, 100%, but my dad's Jewish, so technically it's the wrong side of being Jewish. Not uh, not in the Reform and Progressive Movement. Which, really? Which, re- which recognizes patrilinear descent. Well, thank you. I always just say I would have been, uh, you know... Raped and murdered oh, in the Holocaust. Oh, I would have died. You would have, well, because yes, so that's some, a charming thing to say. But, you're welcome. Um, but, <laughs> you didn't uh, say No, you're, you're, you're one of us. Thank you. <laughs> Wait a minute. So you're married for 17 years? Yes. What do you think are the, and again, none of my business, what do you think, because uh, you only, all the ugliest parts of somebody come up in relationship. What are your, what are the worst? I mean, that's too much. <laughs> Can I ask you? Like, are you are you a bossy know-it-all? I'm. I'm late oh, oh, me? Yeah, oh, what are the oh, worst? Oh, oh, good. Oh, God, I thought like... you were talking about my ex-wife. No. Now, what, what makes me horrible? Is that the yeah. question? Because I, I've been looking at myself so intensely doing all this like internal uh, subconscious work, and I'm facing all the... Is this, a, this is the cautionary part of the podcast for somebody considering <laughs> going out with me? Is that... What I they, know, I can't believe need, I just asked what you What they that. need to know just, going, going into this? I just It just came out. I just said, I'm asking... Oh, I'm very long-winded. I I I have a couple of stories I like. I repeat a lot. Is that that sort of thing? I don't know. Oh, um, how long have you been single for? And, uh, about two years. About two years. Or two two and a half years. IMDb yeah. and your Wikipedia still say you're married. You got to change that. I, I you have to change I'm, it. I'm not in charge of that. Yes, you are. Really, I I I have never once updated my own self. Uh, yeah. a, a plea to your podcasters, okay. please correct it. Your <laughs> podcast listeners. There you go. Okay, so we got to tell the world you're 5'11. Mm-hmm. What's your astrological sign? Because women do care. Really? Yeah, I told you that uh, from the get go. Talking about moon cycles and whatnot. Really? Uh, my, my birthday is June 7th. So, what it makes you a Sagittarius? Scorpio? Gemini. Oh, God, I was going to guess. It was going to be a real funny you bit. Were, you were going to I was going to keep guessing until, and then be like, you were going to Exactly. Guess. I knew it. Yeah. Um, but here's one of the annoying things about me. Okay, here which we go. Is, which is if you were going out with me, every single time you mentioned astrology, I would walk you through the scientific debunking of astrology. But wow. Wait, oh, oh, my God. Aristotle is chuckling in the background. I can't. How <clears throat> dare you? <laughs> well, I would, walk you, I would walk you through two scientific studies. One is the Brown University horoscope study, and the other is the London Time Twins study. Oh and I, I would walk you through these two things. This is what got you and, divorced. And, yes. This is, uh, this is yes. troubling territory. Yes. You, like you're it. trying to leave this podcast right now. <laughs> She oh has her God. coat and her purse. I can't believe this. Yeah. Um, let's just in a really Sheldony way. Let's just it's agree in the to pilot. Disagree. It's in the pilot of Big Bang Theory. In the pilot of Big Bang Theory, Penny. There are seventy-two seasons of Big Bang. It's Theory. It's true, but I in the can't. pilot episode, Penny was asked to describe herself, and 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 one of the things she says is her is her sun sign, and um, and she, I forget the sun exact sun. line. I think she is she a Sagittarius. I think she you know I'm a Sagittarius. And you know what that means. And Sheldon says, yes, it, it, means, it, it means that you believe you're exactly like one-twelfth of the people on the oh planet. Oh, my goodness. Men. Typical, typical men. Or people who have an addiction to reality. 
An addiction to reality. Oh my God, Aristotle is nodding. He is nodding. He's uh, he's yeah. Well, um, God, I mean, I want to make sure I ask you all the please the hard hitting questions. Well, okay. when, wait, when did you meet Chuck Lorre? I met Chuck. When did I meet Chuck Lorre? So is he your uh, best friend? He's not my best friend. Right. He's a good friend. Is that because adults don't call each other best friends, or no? Who's not no, best friends? adults have best friends, okay. and he is not mine. Okay, fine. Yeah, it's good. It's a working relationship. That's just, great. Just so you know, no. Okay. But Chuck, Chuck is a, a really amazing, wonderful person that I've I'm honored to know. Um, it was a remarkable, incredible creative force. Um, when did I meet Chuck? I met Chuck through a friend um, when I was doing Caroline in the City. And then um, I was hired to help punch up the pilot for Dharma and Greg, which was an ABC show starring okay. Jen Elfman and Thomas Gibson. I remember. Yeah. We remember. I watched Caroline in the City. I watched Dharma and Greg. So you guys bonded over what? How did you, what was the moment where you're like, oh. I don't know if uh, I mean I don't know if Chuck and I have ever officially a glance bonded. across the room. Right. What he he seems to love you. You've worked on Two and a Half Men. I did not work on Two and a Half Men. Well, have, that's on your IMDb. Well, I I'm have furious. A, you know what? I have a I have a writing credit on Two and a Half Men because oh. I uh, I I have one or two because uh, I gave him a story because I was because oh, okay. I was just you know talking to Chuck and said oh you should do this and they went and did it and so they gave me a story credit. But I, ne- I never actually worked there. You worked on the Cosby Show. So I, when I worked at the Muppets uh, and Fraggle Rock, I Fraggle Rock, yes. Which when I, was I worked obsessed with when I worked at the Muppets, um, they did an. Bill Cosby wanted to do an episode with the Muppets on it, and uh, um, so we worked. The Muppet people worked with the Cosby people, and so we have a co. We shared writing credit on the episode. I think we'll leave Bill Cosby right there. Moving well, forward. All right. Okay. So you meet Chuck Lorre and then uh, you're working on all these things together. When was the moment when everything changed when your life, where your entire life shifted, when you weren't just working and going from job to job, where you're like, holy shit, there's a, an intense shift? Or was it just a pretty It's hard steady- to say. No, it's hard to I, I worked fairly steadily from, um, uh, you know, the person who really was instrumental in moving me, I think, toward where my career is now is John Landis. Really? Yeah. Tell me about that. So John John is I, I think John is an amazing person and you know the the great controversy about John Landis is, is the Is his tw- son Max? Well who now- I can't stand. I'm not you taken out of this this guy he's a, okay, sorry. Anyway, go on. Well <laughs> I will take that out. I will take that out. Maybe, known, but go on. I, I've known Max since he was a little, little boy. John, um, John, the film director. You know, uh, uh, American Werewolf in London, um, Animal House. You know, seminal American movies. Um, the great controversy about John uh, was the Twilight Zone incident, um, and the you know the 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 death of the death of three actors on the set of the Twilight Zone. And um, there, and and this it remains controversial to this day. Having spent time with John and having truly, truly read about and come and and come to understand um, what happened, I I am among those who is firmly in the school that John is not responsible for what happened on the set. This was a, th- a situation where a director asked a special effects guy to give me a great special effect, and the special effects guy, um, in an effort 
to accommodate that, ignored safety protocols and did it. But, you know, as somebody who has been a producer on a set and worked with special effects, you know, on Dharma and Greg, we did a car rollover and something like that. You simply rely on your special effects people. And you do say to them, give me a big, the biggest explosion you can. Give me the, the best thing that you, you know, that you can give me. But you're relying on them to operate within their expertise and, and do it safely. So, but one of the things that it did to John is it really hurt his career. And there was a period of time where he was, he was struggling to get movies made. And so he took work to, you know, to, to pay the bills. And one of the jobs he took was directing a Disney anniversary special. It was the 35th anniversary of Disneyland, the, the amusement park. And um, I just said that for people who don't know what Disneyland is. Well, Isn't that great? Who this, knows? This, now your podcast is internationally compatible. This is incredible. <laughs> I didn't know what, uh, what no, that no, was, no. but uh, no, now no. I know. <laughs> All of you here at Crikey's can understand this podcast no! now. So, um, uh, so I was still working at the Muppets, and we did, and this was, I, it was shortly after Jim Henson had passed away. And we were doing the Muppets. Uh, were doing a sketch in this this special, and John was directing it. And so I I met John there. John uh, connected to the Muppet people. John and Frank Oz are friends for a million years. And um, Frank Oz, who's the puppeteer, is Miss Piggy, and also is Yoda. And Frank Oz in all of the John Landis's early movies, there's a Frank Oz cameo. He's in he's oh, in funny. every one of them. Um, he's, he's in Trading Places. He's in American War. He's the the a consular officer in American Werewolf. And I didn't so, even realize Trading yeah. Places is John Landis. Trading, oh, yeah, absolutely. I love this movie. And um, so John took me aside um, during that shoot, and he said, um, he kind of gave me a piece of advice, which was, um, leave the Muppets, because it's a gilded cage. You'll stay there forever. It's wonderful. You're writing for Kermit the Frog. It's great. You can be a part of it forever. But you really, he encouraged me to go do other things. And John wound up getting me a job on a show that he produced for HBO, which was called Dream On, which starred Brian Benben um, and was one of HBO's first um, original series. Is that when they did the ads? It's not TV, it's HBO? Yeah, yeah, in those days. And um, that was my first sitcom job. And that that, that led to steady work. I mean, from the point that I did... Um, dream on. Then I worked steadily in series television. I think I went from there to a horrible UPN show, then back to then back to Dream On, and then to Caroline in the City. And so at that point, you know, I just started working steadily. But um, Big Bang came. I I, I did a whole bunch of uh, a lot of sitcom writers did the thing that I did, which is to go into that sort of one hour light comedy thing because everybody said, well, sitcoms are dying. And, um, so I worked, I did a season of Gilmore Girls and then... That's my mom's favorite show. Weren't you an executive producer also, or is I that... I was a, probably a co-EP or... Co-EP? Okay. Yeah. I don't uh, even know what all these terms mean. I don't know what these things mean, but you're a writer on I the show. I was a writer on Gilmore Girls. Okay. Yeah. And, um, and I did a season of that. That was not a good fit. Um, Why? Why wasn't it a good fit? You know, it was one of those shows that I loved as a fan. It was a difficult, it was a difficult show to work on, and um, uh, you know, uh, personalities clashing, style, just a different style. And I, I, you know, I want to say it without saying, you know, without being pejorative, because 
you know, one of the things I've, one of the amazing discoveries that I've made in the world is the thing you think about some someone is the thing they think about you. Oh, really? Yeah. The person who th- you think is annoying thinks you're annoying. I think that's also subconscious stuff. You're both triggering each other. You're trauma bonding somehow. I Something. don't. I don't know. I, I mean, I. I. I yeah. In general. Yeah. In general, the way you rub someone wrong is the way they rub you wrong. Yeah. You know, and so you know, so there was just a very different style with um, with Amy Sherman, who I love and and know to this day, and this is just not a person that I should work with. Um, and and she thinks the same thing, um, but I went from there to um, to the worst job that I ever had, which was uh, I got a call from um, uh, uh, Marta Kaufman, who was Marta is one of the three creators of Friends, and she had taken a job uh, at Warner Brothers that, where she was supervising this this show, and the show was called Related, and. Um, it was written by the woman who had co-written a book that was very popular at the time called He's Just Not That Into You, Liz, and I can't remember her last Liz, name. Liz, T-U-C-I-L-L-O, yeah. and uh, the Greg Barron. Yeah, yeah. Right? So this show was written by Liz, and it was one of those shows, it was, an, it was an, um, I, I call some projects Emotional Orphans, where there wasn't anybody involved in the project that loved the project. Everybody, oh. everybody was on it for a different reason. Liz had been, I think Liz, Liz felt that her original idea had been abandoned and she left the project even before it started. So a show will only succeed if there's somebody who passionately loves it. Yeah. And it really succeeds if everybody passionately loves it. But you need that one person whose vision it is. And this show absolutely did not have that. Marta was on the show because she had said, I'll just supervise the pilot. And they had said to her, well, it'll go to series if you stay with it. And she really clearly didn't want to. And and I took the job without understanding that I was the fourth person she'd asked to take the job. It was horrible. It was a show for the WB network about four sisters. And it was just, it was a piece of material I had no, I didn't relate to in, yeah. in any way, yeah. not having had three sisters and ha- and being a sister at the same time. Are you an only child, by the way? I have a younger sister. Okay. Um, but I mean, I just, uh, you know, uh, yeah. and, and I, it, it was a terrible job. It was horrible. And I clashed with people there because I hated coming there. And it was, you know, it, the job started bad from the first day where they were having trouble making my deal. And I was driving in, I was driving to work for the first day of work and the phone rang. It was my agent and, my agent, and the agent said, are you there yet? And I said, I said, no, I'm, I'm about to turn into the, and he said, no, 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 don't go in. Don't drive onto the oh, lot whoa. because we, you don't have a deal. And if you drive onto the lot, don't drive onto the oh, lot. Wow. Yeah. It's like li- literally physically don't so cross exciting. the threshold. I yeah, know. I love it. I know. Show it was, biz. it was like a Jason Bourne movie if they were really boring. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> so, um, related while I was doing the show. So this show was shot at the Warner ranch, which is God, about, lots. about, quarter of a mile or half a mile north of the main Warner lot. The Warner branch is, by the way, is very cool because it's where the house from Bewitched, which was my favorite sitcom growing up. Oh, really? Is, it's there? It's right there. Oh, it's that's on, so exciting. Yeah. It's the house from Lethal Weapon and the house from Bewitched. There's a little suburban street. Oh, it's where the the fountain where they dance in the opening credit of Friends is on that lot. Oh, God. And that fountain is the same fountain from my favorite movie musical, 1776. You gotta get me on this lot. Uh, I gotta just, uh, yeah, I'm coming can, with you. We can leave here and drive on it. <laughs> Right from here. Um, 
but um, uh, you so didn't like it. Right? I, I hated this thing, and I would. I started taking. I, I would get so angry and so upset that I would go for a walk, and the walk I would wound up walking down. Uh, I think it's Pass Avenue or Hollywood Way. I can't remember uh, Hollywood Way, and I would wind up in Chuck Lorre's office because I knew Chuck, and Chuck was doing Two and a Half Men at the time. And one day I called him and I said, "Do you want to do a pilot?" And Chuck, who didn't need to be doing another show because Two and a Half Men at that time was enormous. His house is made of gold. His house is made okay, of gold. Okay, cool, cool. Let's make sure. Keep going. Gold. Somebody said Chuck makes the big box. He gets actually makes literally. Currency that we've never seen. Uh, just, the big bucks. Right. It's him. What is that? It's a hundred and seventy dollar bill. I've I never mean, seen one of those. How many exclusives can we get in one podcast? <laughs> okay, so you're talking to him. And I said, you want to you want to do a pilot? And he said, absolutely. And um, we decided that we would try to come up with some. We wouldn't pitch anything. We would we would write it. We would we would just do it and have fun, which worked out well for him because he had a job. I didn't have a job, so at that point, I required living on savings to do that. But um, we started talking about a whole bunch of um, ideas, and we had two things. We had heard there was an actress we had heard wanted to do television, and. We later learned this was an absolute lie. Her her agents wanted her to do television. Oh, she had no interest difference. in it. Yeah. But we developed a show for her. And it was actually a really fun show. And it was Ooh, a it, um, actress. Uh, Marissa Tomei. Okay. But, but she didn't. She really didn't want to do television. So you developed a show. We for developed her. a show for her that was about a uh, a woman who had never lived on her own. Who had who had just it, it, she had gone from her parents' house to living with a boyfriend in college to living with that boyfriend as an adult to, that she had that so it was this it was a show about delayed adolescence yeah and it could have been a show about uh, you know about a guy as well it wasn't you know it but it, it was I like it being about a woman yeah it, well, I'm stealing this idea we, it's, uh, it's, oh God, it's right? available. And then, so that was an idea. And then, so we, we worked on that and we presented and, and they said, well, she doesn't want to do a television series. It was like, oh, okay. All right. And then we were working on we a whole bunch of things. And I started talking about the guys that I knew when I was in the computer business, who were the smartest guys that you'd ever want to meet, but they were they challenged um, in the real world and me absolutely among them. I mean, you, you know, you, you've heard some of the stories and then there are other embarrassing stories of my personal life that are part of the first season of big bang theory. Um, but, um, I started talking about those guys and I started talking specifically about a guy who worked there, who, um, was a mathematical savant, but couldn't go someplace he'd never been before by himself. I love it. And that's when it was born. And he started, we started talking about that guy and, and he said, I don't, I haven't seen that guy on television. And I said, no, me neither. And I think, you know, the way, you know, nerds are depicted on, uh, in media at the time was fairly homogenous. And, um, you know, the, the sort of revenge of the nerds, nerds, the, the, you know, the, the pocket protector tape on the uh, bridge of the glasses kind of nerds. And it was always frustrating to me because what I knew, you know, now the, you know, the world of fandom, geekdom, nerddom is so celebrated and so wonderful. And what people talk about. You're on the network. Yes. here, Here we are. But. Um, and it is the least homogenous group. It is it is a group where where what the only homogeny is a respect and admiration for passion. Oh my God, I love that you love that Japanese piece of anime that I've never heard of in my life and are obsessed with it and have you know you know the incredible collection of it. Um, 
So uh, in talking about this, you know, we started talking about that and we, and we started writing that pilot and that pilot really wasn't gelling. And we, there were so many things of it that we loved about it, but it wasn't gelling. One of the things was what they did for a living. And, you know, when I've been in the computer business, it was, it was a little more pure, but now the computer business is very commercial and, you know, I'm going to make a killer app and I'm going to become a zillionaire and all it's of that. It's very hip. And, and it's, right. And it's, you know, so that the first shift was, well, let's give them a different smart thing to do. And that's how they became physicists. And Chuck and I are both science nerds. And, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of the writings of Richard Feynman, which I strongly recommend. There are four volumes of his memoirs, strong, strong recommendation. And they're not about science at all. They're about crazy things like Richard Feynman learning to play the bongos and things like that. Um, And... um, and so that was the first sort of change to it. And then, but it still didn't gel. One day we said, what if the girl from the dead pilot over there yeah. knew these guys? And then all of a sudden there was, then there was an outside perspective. Um, and we did a pilot and the, the first, we did two versions of the pilot. The first per- version of the pilot, we, uh, that girl was very rough. She was, she was. Um, Who was cast? Um, oh, a terrific actress. I'm not going to be able to remember her name. I can never f- remember her name. But in fact, oh, it's you know a sad showbiz story because she's amazing, wonderful actress, and she got forced into this character that I think was badly written, and um, and then every and people blamed her for it. Oh wow! And it just really it was just you know badly written. One of the things. You know, you go to testing sessions for a show and you oh, sit God. and the people and they turn the dials. Oof. And um, the show had the highest the highest gap between love of the show, which was very high, and hatred of a character wow. for the female lead. Was everybody else the same? Was it um, Johnny Galactic? Johnny Jim and Johnny, but not the other characters. And there there were some there was there was another woman who was in in the pilot, a terrific actress named Irise Barr, and there was just when we redid it, there was no room for her character. Oh, and man. um and I, I I'm in touch with Arista remarkable um, Israeli-American actress who does this, these incredible theater pieces. Really, really cool. Um, and um, so we, we redid the pilot and made, we made the woman nice. You know, she had been, you know, she was very rough. In the original pilot, you meet her and she's, um, she's destroying her boyfriend's car, you know, and... Um, Unlikable. Uh, yes, like she she was re- well. The idea was that she you know that she, you know that she was you know that she had a heart of gold. That she was you know that they would peel back the layers and discover this wonderful person. But nobody had time to peel back those layers. Nobody They're did. Like no thanks. Well, I don't want to do it. Well, they said, oh my god, get that mean lady yeah. away from those nice guys. Seriously, they're just nerds. Um, but we had but but the network loved Jim and Johnny, and there are moments of there were moments in the original pilot that feel like what Big Bang became. Oh wow! And um, how did you get to that cast? I mean, what did it take? Like, how well, did you know those people were the people? And you know, bringing Mayim Bialik into it. Well, Mayim comes later, and Mayim and, and Melissa come later. I, um, they were well. Johnny Chuck knew from his days. Chuck had worked as a writer on Roseanne, so okay. he knew Johnny. Um, and Kaylee 
Chuck had also worked with on another pilot, and and he was very fond of her. And we saw her for the first version of it and felt she was too young. But then by the time we got to the second version... Um, seven years later. Well, it was, it was, a, <laughs> it was a year later. Um, but but we went back to Kaylee, and, and I think you know Chuck talks about... Um, you know, we should have cast her in the first place. Um, and uh, Jim came in and auditioned uh, for the first version of the pilot. Um, he came in and was mag- what did, magnificent. What did he done? Very little. He's yeah. in... Um, Simon had done nothing, right? Simon was on Studio 60 at the time, oh. which was... Um, uh, Aaron Sorkin's Aaron Sorkin's show, yeah. show about SNL. And um, Jim... Jim came out of, uh, I think, came out of the master's program at UC San Diego, I think. And um, Jim and Kunal both have MFAs in acting. They do? Yes, they're very educated. Oh, my God. Kunal, I forget where Kunal's degree is from. Um, so you like actors? I love actors. You do? Oh my god! When I love they're good actors. at what they do, right? It's just oh. so brutal. The casting process isn't it brutal? Do you hate it ever when you have to the just... casting process is very very difficult. It's a, I find the casting process emotionally exhausting, and I'm glad I don't do it anymore. The, the current showrunner of Big Bang is another amazing writer, a guy named Steve Holland, um, and um, you know that the casting falls to the showrunner. Uh, it's it's difficult. Tell me you, why. You want, first of all, uh, and if you're an actor and you're wondering what's happening to you know in the heads of the people sitting on the couch as as um, you walk in, first, an incredible desire that you succeed. Yeah, yeah, Incredible, overwhelming. Every person who walks through the door, I the thing that goes through my mind is, oh my god, I hope you're really, really good at this. I want you to have this job. Um, because if you're really, really good at this, then I've accomplished what I set out to do here today, which was to find somebody really, really good. Yeah. And even if somebody really good came in, I hope you're better. I, you know, the, it's an incredible positive hope, but it's also a nervous hope. And if when somebody comes in and they're nervous, I will, I, I literally, in an incredibly codependent way, try to figure out what can I do, oh. what can I do to take this person's nervousness away so that he can succeed at this. Um, and I try, you know, when, when I do casting, I try to give notes and I try to give people a second chance. One of the things that's so difficult is sometimes somebody will open their mouth and give you a first line reading and you know, okay, there's the journey from where they are to where they would need to be is much greater than we're going to be able to do in this room. And um, and you go through the rest of the scene, and that's so difficult. Oh, boy. It's so, so hard. Oh, my God. So you, must be, you must see, like, completely nervous people all you the do. time. Oh, you do. Oh, God. You do. So you know, brutal. sometimes you have, an amazing, you have an amazing experience where somebody will come in, and they're nervous, and they're uncomfortable. And um, every now and then an actor will say, I just hit the ground wrong here. Yeah. And and they say, can I go back in the hall, come back in two people from now? And you go, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it's the thing you would want, right? You know, totally. You know, and and you'll have the moment where that person will come back in, and and they've got it. Oh, thank God, they've got it. Yeah, and it's it, you know, it's the thing of of you know, it's like you know, you're you know, you're you're 
starting to swing dance with somebody and you started on the wrong foot and there's no way to fix it without letting go, taking a step back, taking a hold of the person again and and counting and starting. Oh my God. I'm thinking of the scene in Flashdance with the ice skating where she falls. Let's talk about Flashdance. Oh, do you not like that movie? Let's talk about Flashdance. Yes. We're going to get you out of here in a second too. Let's let's talk about about Flashdance. Oh yeah, we're going to have to. Yeah. You've got to be somewhere at two, right? No, I have to be somewhere at, I think at 3.30. He's busy and important has to do stuff, you guys. uh, Right now. Oh my God. Who's calling you? Get the president of Showbiz on the line right now. Uh, the president of Showbiz. What time do I have to be? Oh my goodness. I have to be in Sherman Oaks at 3.30. We're good. Okay. We're good. Oh, we're going to get, get out of here in 15, 20 minutes we're tops golden. and you're done. But we're going to talk about Flashdance. Okay. Yes. Let's talk about the movie Flashdance. Yes. Okay. Oh boy. Let's say <laughs> your goal was ballet. Yeah. But you wanted to join a world-renowned corps de ballet. And you had one shot to audition. And my boyfriend makes a call for me? Hang on a second. Okay. Hang on. Ballet. Ballet. An art form that's hundreds of years old that is based on unnatural body positions refined to a point of finesse. Odd positions, peculiar movements of the body that are ritualized and specific and and prescribed and precise. What kind of dance would you do to show that you could be in an elite corps de ballet? Uh, not the dance she does for <laughs> I would her think performance. Not. I think listen. you would not do the dance where you run around the I table. I can't believe it. No, she does a lot. Listen, she incorporates, uh, you know, uh, whatever the street style of what is it called? Oh God, where you pop and lock? What do you, what is that called? Pop and lock, break dance. She incorporates uh, break dancing, which is very hip and modern yeah. at the time, and she yeah. does some intense ballet stuff. Yeah. So yeah. I would okay. say. So here's the thing: <laughs> if you were auditioning to join a modern dance company, yeah, do that right. stuff. If, if if even she was being innovative, okay. I, I, under, I understand yeah. that. I understand that. But but if you were, for example, auditioning to join the Metropolitan Opera, yeah. maybe what you would choose as an audition piece is, I don't know, opera. But so you've always had a problem with that at the end of it where you're like, what the fuck is this? I object to the you movie Flashdance. You do? You object to the entire movie? Yes, because you take me on that long ride. Oh, God. She got in. You know she got in. And then she gets the guy in the end. It follows the classic okay. story structure. Okay, but she's not a real person. What? Yeah, I know. What? I know. That's how good it was to me. I thought uh, she was real. All right. I Do you like Moonstruck? Totally other movie, a separate I, movie, but I, I do like, like I don't remember it very well, what but I remember. Favorite, what inspires you? What are your favorite movies? What movies Not do Flash I like? Not Flashdance. That's for I, damn sure. I don't like Flash. You know, it's always very hard to come up with, you know, people say, what are your favorite movies? What yeah. are your favorite TV shows? And things like that. And, um, uh, you know... Okay. There are movies that, you know, I mean, I love the Maltese Falcon, you know, that's, that's a movie I love, but then, you know, and I love any movie, any movie on a submarine is fantastic. Okay. Yeah. Um, (sighs) They're great. I don't think they're, they're not. I think they're great too. Um, But, you know, like, um, um, was Denzel Washington and Gene Hackman that movie on the submarine? Oh, I can't remember the name. But, of it. but remember, and it's it's the mutiny. You know, a mutiny. I know yeah, what you're talking that's about. A, right, that's yes. great. You know, you know what's great about podcasts is right now there's somebody listening to this going, I did. It's yeah, I do it, and, and, and there's nothing you can do with well, that. Listen, where where were they when we needed them? That's right. Not here. Why were um, they not here? God. Um, uh, you know. Um, Big Bang Theory, casting, nerve. Oh, I, oh, and then, and then, okay. oh, yeah. But then I was talking about how it's like when people do a bad audition, it's like when they walk in and they're nervous, it's like 
it's like watching ice skating because you were like waiting for the person to fall. Yeah. But you you don't want the person to fall you or don't. fail. You want the person you to do don't. great. I can't audition anymore ever again. I never, I don't, I realized yesterday I don't yes. like acting. Well, okay. Well, because I have director friends who will like direct pilots of things or whatever. And then, uh-oh, who is it? Oh my God. T- don't tell them I'm here. I am oh, it's about not, you. It is. No. It isn't. And that's the problem. Not about you. Um, it is not about me. But yeah, yesterday I went into a thing and I just went, Oh God, I went, I just don't want to embarrass myself in front of my friend. That's all I cared about in front of my friend who I knew was going to see the tape because he had called me in. And I just went, I hate this. I'm cripplingly shy. I only want to write and make stuff and do my Insta stories, which, uh, you know, do you like Insta stories at all? Like, do you think it's a new form? It's very, I find it very weird. Um, It's a new form of uh, storytelling, uh, But here's the thing, well, it is, but you know what it is? It's artificial intimacy. That is true. It, it is, um, you know, voyeuristic. I, I, it is well. It's voyeur. It's not voyeuristic because an aspect of voyeurism is a lack of permission, right? Mm, but I'm going come into my world, right? So you're so it's a pretend conversation, and um, uh, there's something very very peculiar about it. And um, tell me about my your relationship with my Insta stories because I am very like I'm well, telling everybody everything. I mean, well, I, yeah. I mean, and I and I I mean this in a way that's that, fine. That is, there there is a loneliness to, to oh, yours. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh wow, that's fine. No, tell me all about that. There, the conversations that you're having with your phone and the people who are, are, are the conversations that you might have with a friend. I have them with friends too, though. Yeah. Yeah. But but. Apparently not enough because if you were if that was if that if you were sated with the conversations you were having with friends, you might not have this conversation. That's interesting. No, I totally see that, and you're completely right to take it that way because I get that. But but the but the reason the reason that there's funniness in it it's the same reason that that you know that Woody Allen is funny, which is there's a the the, the humor of self deprecation. I mean, you know, you look at you know funny Woody Allen characters, and I and I understand. I I say Woody Allen in the context of everything we know about Woody Allen. Yes. But um, but the there's a there's a desperate there's a desperate need to connect that those characters have. Just this just this desperate need to connect them that the connections that exist aren't. Aren't enough. They they either don't exist or they're not. They're they're insufficient. Yeah, and that's what makes the stuff that you do funny because it's coming from a very painful honesty. It's because it's so earnest and so painfully honest. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, for sure. But, but you know, I mean, it is no news to students of humor that humor is humor is pain. Comedy is pain. Well, yeah, because I. I'm fully aware that I'm like completely earnest and if like, and I look at my Insta stories and I go, either I'm going to be commenting on how self-aware I am about what I'm putting out there, but there's no time. Like I could be like, all right, I know this paints a picture of desperation or loneliness and I'm really talking about me as if anybody cares. Like I could do the whole disclaimer like I did at the beginning of this podcast, but that was different because that was more specific to like this week and the moon and me just feeling like cripplingly like sensitive this week or always but i feel like that's how people 
you don't talk about everybody's doing that on Instagram to different degrees. Like everybody has their bizarre curated. Like if I watch, do you know who Aaron Foster is? I said this in my last podcast, but uh, not that you would have heard it, but just in general for my listeners, they're like, stop quoting shit you've already said. You know what you're getting from certain people. If you're, if, cause I watch Insta stories now, it's all about where you put your attention. Like I could watch Real Housewives or Big Bang Theory and I'm watching my Apple TV or I'm watching, uh, you know, Insta stories. It's like a TV show. It's like a network now. And it's like, then I have my channel and Erin Foster has her channel and I tune into her stuff and she's hanging out with the Kardashians. It's like everybody has their, you know what you're going to get from them. You're going to get brutal, uncomfortable, like earnest honesty from Alexi living her life, walking around the city, like wondering about thoughts and feelings and relationships and what it all means. And like, oh yeah, yeah. Like, or you're going to, so it just seems like, uh, I don't know. But here's a way to look at it. Yeah. So, the, the fundamental pain of the human condition is separateness. Yeah. Right? You know, E.M. Forrester in Howard's End begins with the words only connect, right? And you, you have a, you know, people have a desperate need to connect. And um, one, of the, one of the problems with having evolved intelligence is that the kind of connection that's satisfying to other primates, which is just we hang out in this part of the of the forest, yeah, which is good, which is absolutely fine. If you're a bonobo, that's like you know. Oh boy, we're talking bonobos. There yeah. you go. Yeah, yeah. But because we evolved intelligence, we have the same desire the bonobo does. But but it's not enough that we hang out together. We want this kind we want of to understand. We want to we feel want less this alone. Intense connection. So that is a desire we have. Okay, so you've got that desire. And then you invent the internet and you invent social media. So what you can do is you can essentially OD on... Craving a, to connect? The, a feeling of connecting. So here's the thing. When, when we were you know, primitive man, when we were hunters and stuff like that, we developed a taste for fat in food. Yeah. Because it meant the animal was healthy. Okay. So Where are you going with this? Hang yeah. on. So um so that you have a natural craving for to eat fat because that lets you know that the animal that you just killed was healthy. But then you develop intelligence and you say, "You know what? Screw that. I can just make fat. I can just make Oreo cookies and I can literally just put fat on a cookie and eat it." Yeah. And so the same that that social media can do the same thing, which is you have this natural human desire to form real connections with people, but you can flood your brain with the same endorphins that real connections give you with social media connections. But that's from the person watching. What you're saying is you, your brain all, is flooded. No, because there's, a, because there's a cycle. Because when you put out a story like that, you get feedback from it. But sometimes, well, I go through phases where I put it out right. and I have to, because ha- we have to make choices now and and, and, right. and you'll lose your whole life to checking likes and see who looks at your Instagram. But it doesn't stories. matter because you know it's happened. You know what happened. You you Once you put it out there, you can feel that you connected to somebody. Yes, but I'm going to speak to... They are two separate things, but yes, you definitely have the feeling of like, I put something in the world, I'm connecting. I even said something like that on my Insta stories yesterday being like, I'm not really proud of this content, but uh, you know, I'm lonely and I want to put it out into the ether. But also, I have a complete uh, awareness and my objective is I don't want to put anything because I love like Paul Mazursky. I love an unmarried woman. I love uh, the, you know, before sunset, before sunrise movies, people walk, Woody Allen. I love Annie Hall and her sisters, whatever. Anything that's talking about, I love Eric Romare, anything that's about analyzing feelings, human emotion, so, that, so to the rawest point of like just being brutally honest, 
that's my those are my favorite things to watch and read and that's all I want to generate like that's I'm like why would I say if I'm and I don't insta story this is not me being defensive but I like to speak to it because I have an answer to it which is interesting because you can have a whole conversation about output what you're taking in the internet the future like these are real things it's so fascinating but I am so conscious of my phone when I go to dinner if I'm with friends I rarely take my phone out when I'm with friends you, because I because because I don't feel I need to document everything, but also because I do all my stuff when I'm by myself. Because when I'm with people, I'm like, oh, I'm being present with this person, you know, and I have so many friends. But, okay, there's a there's a character that's present in the stuff that you put out. Yeah, and it's an autobiographical character. It is not exactly you because there's a self conscious aspect to it. It's a filtered version of you. It's those. It's that aspect of you you choose to present. So that. You know, the other name for that is writing, right? That's that's a character you have created. Yeah. Do you ever worry that by by creating, you know, short pieces of writing like this, that you're robbing yourself of the bigger piece of writing with that character in it? Well, I've sold like six shows that never got made. Right. I had a blog. I mean, my whole story, I don't know if you know anything about me, but I know we're just meeting for the first time, but I, I had a blog where I would write blo- intense raw entries in this blog uh, similar to what my Insta stories are now, but they're right. just outpourings of just like stream of consciousness when I'm going through to work through things. Uh, I met this woman, Linda Opst, and I got a showrunner, this girl, whatever, who cares, we created a show, sold a show, and it was like a... I was in my mid-20s at the time. It was called Boy Crazy, and it was about a single girl in the city living her life. Um, So I did that version of what the Insta stories are. Uh, I wrote a movie that I found partial financing for that all I care about is making this movie that I wrote because I just got so sick of like selling shows and having it turn into something I never intended, and then they don't go. And I'm like, my whole life's going to change. Oh, my God. And then network notes, and nobody really respects me anyway, because why should they? But they, and, but like, they like my original voice, but then they're like, get out of here, kid. Beat it. Like You're a bonehead. And I was like, I hate this. I just felt so... I had no power. I had no... So now I'm just... I... Oh my God! Of course, my life is not just Insta story, and that's just a byproduct. That you know, and it's it is like a it's a business. It's like when I don't share the that's my form of comedy. If you don't do that, you don't get the followers. People do followers matter now. It's so bizarre. You connect with people. You're building whatever. I'm freelance. It helps the pod. It's it's a bizarre thing, but it all matters. But as a writer, so here's what yeah. I here's what I find as a writer. What I find is is that you can get it. Is that um, oh boy. What I what I find as a writer is that um, I have a story and it needs to be told. If I tell it to some friends over dinner, I'm done. I told it. Oh wow! If I don't tell it to friends over dinner, eventually it comes out as a piece of writing. If, 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 if I'm stingy with it. Because the story wants to be told. Mm. Because I've seen something. I noticed something. I had a feeling. I, you know, whatever. And um, uh, if, I, if I let the story out in a way that isn't, you know, writing. Yeah. Then, um, you know, then there's, it then, it, then it's, it goes away. I totally know what you mean. And it's interesting because I will get on myself if I'm focusing on like note carding a, a, a thing, like if I want to, 
and I'm writing something, I won't be Insta storying as much. I'll be watching movies and I'll be writing. I'll be in my head and I'll just be like, you know, writing like this, figuring stuff out. And then I feel guilty because I'm I'm putting all my attention on the actual writing of something. Right. I, to- I totally agree with you. And it is like a dangerous thing that you have to be aware of because, yeah, that's completely true. But it's a weird modern because I, Because I think, that the, the, I think the character that you present in... In on Instagram is a charming character, and and my question is 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 she better served in you know in a longer in a longer bigger piece in a longer form? Can't they both exist? I can't, don't know. Can't they, one they, get they can't, excited? Not for me. They can't. Not, not for not for not for me as a writer. Maybe for you as a writer, but for me as a writer, for me as a writer, if I here's the thing, you know, I'll sometimes something will happen and there's not a funny thing. I say, oh my God, I'm going to write an essay about this phenomenon that is currently existing in society. And sometimes it, there's a thesis sentence for that. And if I tweet that thesis sentence, the desire to write the essay is gone. I think uh, it's like working out stand-up or something. It's like you you say the thing, I keep those stories in my phone. There's a record of them. Like right. they save to my phone. I write things down if I go, oh my God, I like that. Like I, and I, okay, well, it's, it's, it's a joke. And I think, no, I'm just saying, I'm not like, no, I, being, I, I'm, we're, yeah. we're having a modern futuristic argument about, uh, that's not even an argument about, about finding, I think both can exist, but you have to be diligent and you have to be aware of like what you're putting out I'm, there. Here's what, what I'm pick, saying. Yeah, I think you wouldn't be able I, to do what it. I'm saying is, is, is that, is that the thing that's interesting about, uh, about your, um, Stream of, yeah. the stuff that you put out is that is that you're a good writer. That even even the stuff that's extemporaneous has a shape to it and is really interesting. And that's when when there's comedy in it, it's because it's because you have comic instincts. So what's happening is is I can feel you see the punchline. I can feel the moment where you real you know you're you're rambling and then all of a sudden oh my god I see the comedy of this and you take the turn and you head toward it and you land the joke and I go well. You sort of going well. Where's now? Where's something big from this person? Yeah, you know. Well, now I'm all inspired. All right, go I'm gonna, right. I'm going to totally go right. Go right. Okay, so we're landing this plane. Yes. First of all, I'm. Thank you for coming to uh, to do this. I appreciate it. And your phone is blowing up. But are you? What's next? You wrote the movie. Yeah. Are you happy though in your life? Are you Am happy? I happy? I am happy. I, I mean, fundamentally, you know, I you know, I've I've you know, it's been, um, you know, as as anybody can can sort of reverse engineer, you know, having you know been married to someone for a long time and then not being married, there's certainly emotional turmoil associated with that. But um, but yeah, I'm I'm happy. What are you hoping for for 2018? 2018. What's are you meditating? 20, what's I'm not meditating. Do you feel I should be? I mean, I don't know anymore. Who knows? I'm doing it. If you can believe it. Um. Well, it's not hard. It's fairly near fetched. <laughs> Not, not far-fetched, near-fetched. I've near-fetched. never used near-fetch on the show. Well, So you don't meditate. You're I, not in therapy now. No. All right. No. Making the, what else? Teaching at USC? I'm not teaching right now either. You know, um, what the hell are you doing, Bill? You know, I've got a lot of a look. I was able to come over here on a Thursday <laughs> I know, afternoon. I know. Right? I don't know. I'll, uh, you know, I'll come to people's houses and help them with things. Final question. Yes. All right. Uh, since you were te- teaching at USC, and I'm watching all these master classes too. Right. I'm fast, I'm, I mean, you should do one. It seems like that's what you're doing at USC. If you're you're going to be the next teacher on the master class series. But uh, you know, Martin Scorsese's, Shonda Rhimes, Aaron Sorkin, you next. But uh, what do you wish you knew now 
what do you wish you knew then when you're when you're like a you know wee lad living your life that you know now if some kid is looking up to you going I want to to do what Bill does what advice would you give Colonel's um, knowledge uh, uh, authenticity Auth- uh, fundamentally authenticity um, uh, in but in all things professional and personal the the thing that we do where we twist ourselves around to try to be the thing we think is wanted of us creates an inauthenticity that is a barrier to creative work and to relationships. And I think the thing that I wish that I'd known is, um, you know, it, here's the thing. Don't you hate it? Don't you just loathe when cliches are absolutely true? And this is the cliche, be yourself. And it's here's here's a story of a cliche. So when I was at the Muppets, we had a softball team, and there was a lot of pressure to be on the softball team. And I said, I don't want to be on the softball team because I'm not a good athlete. I can't play softball. And this was this was just dismissed, sort of like, well, no, you're a guy. Surely you. When you say you can't play softball, you mean you can't play it well. But obviously, you can play it. And I'm trying to say, no, no, no. I cannot play it at all. I cannot throw. I cannot catch. I cannot hit. But I am pressured onto the Muppet softball team, and we go out to the to Central Park. And we're going to play a game, and we're playing. It's David Letterman's old late night talk show, the show he had in New York, and um, and Letterman pitches for his team, and I'm placed third in the lineup, and I'm going, what the fuck do I do? And I'm trying to think of. I pick up the bat, and I'm up, and I'm trying to figure out how can I learn to play softball in the 18 feet I have to walk to to home plate. And I say, well, has anyone ever given me any advice on, on playing sports? And I'm trying to think, what have people said? They, Keep your eye on the ball. That's a thing people have said. Yeah. Keep your eye on the ball. <laughs> All right. So I go there and I raise the bat. And the first pitch is too high and I'm smart enough to let it go by. And the second pitch comes and I know that this is a good pitch. Keep your eye on the ball. Keep your eye on the ball. And I swing and I hit the, the ball into the middle of next week. It's a stand-up triple. And I'm coming around third base, and there's the guy who's coaching third base, and he says, Bill, what's wrong? And I said, what do you mean? He says, you look furious. And I stopped, and I realized, it's true? Keep your eye on the ball is true? My life could have been different? I could have played sports? Yeah. So the thing that is annoyingly true is be yourself. Okay. Be yourself in your writing and in your relationships and be honest and be authentic. And I wish I'd known that. You wish you had known that. Well, yeah. and now I'm going to take uh, your inspiring words of wisdom and uh, I'm going to focus on writing. Uh, yes, I will write on the Big Bang Theory. Thank you for the offer. I'll do it. I'll just commit to writing long form things and not just Insta stories. Uh, you heard it here first, folks. Anyway, um, where are you off to now? I'm going to go watch a basketball game. Oh, wow. Yeah, my son's playing. So you'll watch it. He, he's a, we don't want to play sports. I'm not going to play sports, yeah, but good. it's also... Of course, I, but, good. But it's, it's the JV. I don't think I'm eligible to be on oh, the JV Oh, yeah, and that would be really weird. Team. That would be bizarre. That, be that would be weird. Wouldn't that be weird? Who's that grown-up, and, oh, and why isn't he as good as the kid? Get him out of here. We'll yeah. have a great time Thank at, you, at the basketball game, and uh, yeah, bye. Goodbye. Goodbye. Yeah. Now leaving Nerdist.com. What? <laughs>